back from Athens into the spot, a pass, and Marner gets it back to Sandy, who scores! Holy Mackinac, what a bullet from the youngster, and Sandy has given the Leafs a power play goal. and that's the ball game. One of the toughest losses of the season for the Toronto Blue Jays as they have three bases loaded walks in the top of the ninth and Tampa Bay has extended their win streak to 10 straight. Biggest moment of a legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. Oh, where do you even want to start? Where do you even want to start, Ziggy? I, I mean, Leafs, Habs, that, that was so long ago. Yeah, I know. It feels like it, it was it was forever ago. But, yeah, I mean, that's a big weekend of sports. Big day yesterday of sports. Soured a little bit by the Jays. But, yeah, big Leafs wing. You have the oldest major winner. Phil gets it done in his 50s. Um, you had a massive 4-1 comeback. I've never seen that before. Uh, yeah, where do you want to start? Never seen that before. Oh, <laughs> throwing that dart right out there, huh? Oh man, that was yeah, that was that was. I I just kept seeing that last night and this morning. It was like, oh, losing losing a four, getting up 4-1 in the game and losing that in the playoffs. I wonder. Uh, I've never seen that. I mean, I I feel bad for you know, Oilers fans and Oilers Twitter, like that's, that's a tough way to lose it. You go down three zip and it's just what now? I mean, it's, it's over. It's all that series is done. And tonight, can you believe it? Like quite yeah. possibly tonight, right? They got to do the same thing. The Leafs and Habs are doing tonight and tomorrow. They got to do the back to back. So yeah. game four is in Winnipeg tonight. I, I don't know how you bounce back from that. If you're the Oilers and they started Ziggy to get production. The story out of the first two games in Edmonton was that McDavid and Drysaddle hadn't done anything. Well, mm-hmm. you're less than half a period into the hockey game, and Drysaddle's already put two up last night, and it ends up it ends up not mattering as they absolutely crater in the third period and into overtime. And you're sitting there watching that. It it there were flashbacks. I mean, this is a bit of a different scenario. The Oilers, for as long as it'll go will actually live to play another day. That was a difference between that and what happened in 2013 with the Leafs. But you got to know this as a player. Like, we're sitting there watching that game last night. You know Winnipeg's winning in overtime, right? It's hard. It's hard to come. And it's hard to come back. The momentum shifts like that. And you, it's just like, so you know the feeling of playing with house money? Just take the opposite of that times a thousand. That's what the feeling is like if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you give up three goals and you, it's all of a sudden you know you're 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 tied at you got tied you got four, a two and a four off suit right right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just pushed all your chips into the table yeah, into the yeah. middle of the table with a two and a four off suit. Yeah, uh, yeah. It it just it just it's a bad it's. It, it's a terrible feeling. Like I said, it's the opposite of playing with the house money. And I, I don't know. 
This Edmonton team, I don't know. I, I get messages about them all the time. What is wrong with them is like, get McDavid out of there. Like, I, I, I don't like, wh- what do you think it is? Do you think it's the team? Do you think it's the makeup? Are they still in, in cap hell where they don't, they can't go and get who they want. They have so many, so much money tied up in, in the players that they don't want together. So th- you can look at it like that is, you know, you're not going to say it's McDavid, right? This is the best goal scorer in the league. And then you get dry maybe the second best player in the league. It's like, what, what else do you need? Well, I think from watching this series, you watch the first couple of games, you say, well, we can't have our best two players shut out. Fine. They play so many minutes. I get it. Then all of a sudden they both produce, right? Dry saddle gets, gets two goals and assist. McDavid gets three apples. They look like they're cruising. All of a sudden those goals go in and you're saying, well, what else is there? Who else is going to score? Who else is going to defend when those guys aren't on the ice? Well, McDavid was on the ice for the tying goal, the fourth goal. So then you're going to say, well, our best players have to be better defensively. Like, where do you want to start and where do you want to go with this team? Is it a multiple things? Like, I, I don't even know what the solution is anymore. I, I like, do you give, do you give them a couple more years and maybe they'll, they'll find players to play around McDavid. I, I don't think it's as simple as get McDavid out of there. That's all. That's all I read. That's all I hear is just get him out of there. Um, if you're good, you find a way for your team to win. I, I I don't think trading the best player that has ever put on skates is is the solution. Like if I'm McDavid, I want to I want to stay at Edmonton and win. I know it's not over; it's three nothing, but the so, odds aren't with them right now. So, so you're saying that there are people say, suggesting the Oilers should trade Connor McDavid, or these are like people McDavid, who are thinking like McDavid. about McDavid and saying when when the hell is he going to have enough? Yeah, that's what they're well, saying is when is he going to have enough? But I, I don't like, I, if you're, if you're McDavid, you want to stay there and you want to win. Like you don't want to go anywhere else. You don't want to like, I, I just, I don't understand the thought process behind get like free McDavid. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's more than, I think it's more than who they add around him. I think there's, there's a lot more there with Edmonton. There's a lot more things you can look at. I didn't like some of the goals that Mike Smith led in yesterday. He, he's been brilliant. He's been great. Like at his age, what he's doing on that contract, that's the, uh, between that and the Spezza contract, those are the best two value well, they, contracts in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, they got some big deci- decisions to make. They, they've got to figure out their goaltending going forward, which isn't to say that Mike Smith can't be back next year and, and be helpful to them. But Mike Smith is pushing 40 years old. So who's mm-hmm. going to play goal for you over the long term? They've got to they've got to figure that out at some point. Then they've got decisions to make with some of their secondary guys, not the least of which is RNH. Right, he's up. He he just is wrapping up a six year, I think thirty six million dollar contract. So so he's a six mil AAV. What's he worth to you as he pushes through his thirtieth birthday on his next contract that he will sign with somebody this summer, Ziggy? And and. I think they've got a couple of stout defensemen. They got to hope they get Oscar Clefbaum back next year and, and that he's healthy. He's missed all season. And Darnell Nurse, in the absence of Clefbaum, has, I think, taken the next step and is another foundational piece on, on the back end. So they, they got some guys, but I, I just think you, you talk about it all the time, being a, a top nine forward group as mm-hmm. opposed to top six, bottom six. I think there's 
there's a lot of loose change kicking around in the middle of that lineup up front. And and they need more depth. They they need more of a threat behind B- McDavid and Drysaddle. And that team does a lot of its best work when those two are on the ice together. Well, when those two are on the ice together, who's behind them? And and I think that that's a big part of what they got to assess. Yeah, I just don't. You can't you can't win the game. You can't win a series. You can't win in the playoffs on one or two players. I I I don't know what other be- better example to show you than this Oilers team, like. What what other example can you look at? You've got the best player of all time, and it just it can't happen right now. Um, I don't know what else you want, McDavid and Drysdale. Like that's the thing. It's like you have your best two players; they're playing incredible, and there's just not not much else there with the Oilers. It's it, I, I. What are they going to do? Shake oh. it up again? Like I, I don't I don't even know at this point. But you just you need like. I think this is a good example for Leaf fans when you see everything that like the big four do are Matthews is the best player on the ice. Like you need more than a Matthews on your team to win. You need more than a McDavid. I've seen it. I've played with Sidney Crosby. You can say is one of the best clutch performers and one of the best to ever put skates on. As good as he is, and he can carry your team, you need more. And you you're, you'll say that. You, you you do need, you need, need you need somebody else to to that can do it when you're not out there. You need someone that you can play with at times. Um, and they have that in Drysaddle. But after that, it's like, well, what else is there? And I understand, I understand. You can make the point. Well, the best players need to pull the the they need to pull a team with them. If you want to take that stance with McDavid and Drysaddle, like I'm I'm fine taking. I'm fine to, you know, pushing that point on the fact that if you have your best two players, they, they have to be able to drag everybody into the fight with them. And I talk about this a lot with the Leafs and what do we need? Well, I always say I need Matthews to kind of pull this team through the first round. Um, and besides that, it's, you can't just rely on, on one guy to do it, but at the same, it's, there's a difference between relying on just having your best star player and your star player dragging everybody through. So what does that mean with McDavid? Well, is he dragging is he dragging the Oilers through a playoff win like we I told you before the the playoff started. Marner and Matthews, Drysdale, McDavid, one of them is going home after the first two rounds. That's a big problem for one of the pairs. So I think that I just I I I I'm scratching my head with this Oilers team. I just, I, I didn't like some of the goals last night. Like they get a couple of those saves and um, you know, the series is two, one. That's totally different. I thought, I thought the Oilers played great. They came out of the gates, you know, guns blazing. McDavid was all over the ice. Dry the, that, that goalie scored from the side of the net. We tucked it in um, that first one. I thought it was, it looked so easy on TV but gosh, off a rebound, going below the goal line and coming back out on his forehand side, like it's he, he's an incredible talent. And they came out and started the game great. And you, you get up 4-1, you just can't let those games go. And it's one of those games, Ziggy, where if it's earlier in the series or if you're tied a game apiece or up to nothing, you're you're not quite as panicked. But that that's just absolutely a game the Oilers couldn't lose and there's going to be a lot of soul searching there because they are going out now whether it's tonight and I think it will be tonight or a little bit later on this week they're they're going out 
Here's my takeaway from the Leafs and Habs on Saturday night. And game three goes tonight in Montreal. The way that the Montreal Canadiens can beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they're well aware of this because they they played this. I mean, I think they've played this way over the first two games. They are trying to smoke them out of the rink. They're trying to be vicious. They're trying to get away with a lot of stick work, etc. And what they're counting on is, A, not a lot of penalties being called because there's always this lean toward making sure the power play count is relatively even. Like, I'll be fascinated to see how tonight plays out, Ziggy, if Montreal plays close to the exact same way that they played on Saturday. Like, are the Leafs going to end up with a 6-1 to power play advantage under any circumstance tonight, even if the Habs play the very same way as they did on Saturday in Toronto? They're counting on that power play advantage not being as distorted as it was on Saturday. And if it is, they're counting on that Maple Leafs power play to look like the back half of the regular season and not the first half of the regular season power play. And the beast may have been woken up on Saturday night because the Leafs got Mm -hmm. two power play goals. And if, if Montreal is taking penalties and the Leafs are scoring on the power play, this thing is going to be over in five. I know I sound overly confident. Somebody's going to scream at me for being a homer. I'm telling you right now, the Leafs are the better team. We know that. Are the Habs going to be punished consistently for the way that they're trying to play? We're only going to find out tonight and through tomorrow. Well, I like the lineup shakeup. Bringing Eggvall in, I thought he was... I thought he was really good. Uh, I think the th- I think the third line was good. Um, just a lot of energy, and that's what you need out of them. I I still need to see my top three lines as a threat to score every time they touch the ice. I don't know if I'd go that far with Kerfoot Mikheyev as well, but they were they were really good out there, and they, that's what they need. The fourth line, I'm still not sure, you know, what to think of of Thornton, Spezza, Simmons. Uh, it, it's, I just, I, I expected. You're expecting the parts of the regular season. Like the hard thing when you're looking in the playoffs is when guys play so well during the regular season. I know Spezza had a massive goal that was uh, getting that first one on the board was was big, but Thornton in the first of the two games with a giveaway on the power play. It's just you expect guys in the playoffs, if they don't do what they did during the regular season, you're just like, I need to see someone else, and we don't have time to wait now. Um, I'm, I am I don't think, obviously, I don't think any of them are coming out of the lineup, but I I just, the, the fourth line when they're out there, I'd like to see a little bit more. Like I said, the third line, a lot of energy. You bring Engvall back in, and Galchenyuk didn't play a lot, but... And I called for him to play in the in game one. Is just he brings you something that they don't have out there, and it's it's a guy that plays with some edge. He plays the game. He he's a physical presence out there. Lots of energy. Um, he can hang on to a puck, and I think he's the best forechecker on the team. Like I think you can throw him in the conversation with. Hyman for how well they are retrieving pucks, going in the corners, you know, banging bodies. I just, they bring, he brings you something they don't have. And he's, when he's out there and he gets in a scoring opportunity, 
He's got that offensive upside where he's a threat when he's out there. And that's what I want. Like McKayev does everything right. He's fast. He can kill penalty. He can do everything. But is he a threat when he gets the puck or he goes in on two and one? What are you thinking? Like you're you're not thinking, okay, this could go in, right? Your 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 shoulders slump and goes. Oh, it's McKay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You just he struggles to score. So Galchenyuk's the guy where I I think that I I, he's he has to be in the lineup for me. I'm and I love the fact the way he came in. That's a guy that can be upset because he deserved to be in game one, and then get you get you say, okay, we need you now. Game two, we we dropped the first one. You know, you can hang your head and. You can tell when a guy comes in the lineup how you know how upset he is. Like, you didn't see any of that. That's just a guy happy to be out there, and he brought them something they needed. And he's—I know he doesn't show up on the score sheet anywhere, but that's what you need. You need guys like that if you're going to win. And he's going to score a big. I'm telling you right now, he's going to score a big goal for this Leafs team. Here's Sheldon Keefe on playing Engvall and Galchenyuk in Game Two. Yeah, I thought those guys, uh, you know, gave us. What we thought we were going to get, you know, a little extra speed, a little extra skill, uh, competitiveness on the puck, and then the speed is a big part of that uh, to be able to get to those spots. Yeah, I just thought we had uh, we had a really engaged hockey team here today, you know, all the way through our lineup. And to his credit, Ziggy, I yeah. mean, Engvall was under the Habs' skin all night long. I mean, th- he played with an edge that a consistent edge throughout the game that I, I don't think I'd ever seen from him at the NHL level. He was engaged, he was involved, he was he was chippy. He never crossed any lines. I know he ended up with a 10 at the end with with Shea Weber, but he he was goading the Habs in an effective way. Yeah, he when he's going, he's 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 effective. His problem is just not him. It's 80% of players. When you get to the professional level, it's can you do it every night? And I think that's been the knock on him, right? He came in, you know, with the Leafs. And when I saw him with the Marlies, I, he wasn't even, he was an okay player in the minors. Like I didn't even, I I never expected Pierre Engvall to come into the NHL and do what he's done. And I know he's been in another lineup and he's, he's been kind of that player on the team that the coach can go to, to, you know, you can get upset at them. And, and, you know, I think when you have that relationship with a player where there are certain guys on the team that take the brunt of when things aren't going well, you, you know, they're the guys that sit out, right? They're the guys you can kind of kick when they're down. It's, it's not fair, but Engvall has been one of those guys, right? Where when things don't go well with this team, he's the first guy that's going to sit out and he's, you know, that's, that's what he's been with this Leafs team. I, I think, and I, I told you, I never expected this out of him. So what he's done at the NHL level after you know, paying his dues in the minors, I, I think it says a lot, but it's the whole thing. It's consistency, and he just, he vanishes some nights. And that happens with a lot of players. And maybe that's just another learning curve for him this year in playoffs. But at that size and how well he can skate, can kind of throw him. He's he, he's really that utility player. You can kind of throw your third, fourth line, and if somebody gets hurt in your top two lines, like I'm, you, you can throw him anywhere. And you need players like that. Like I, I don't think it's fair that he's been out of the lineup. I think I think he's deserved a shot, but there's that consistency part of it where some nights you just you don't really see him. And for Engvall to be successful, 
you have to notice him. Like you need to see energy. You need to see that physical side of him. And he's just such a big body that that's what you want, right? You have a big guy like that that can skate. You want to, you want to have a presence on the ice and that's something he has to find. Um, I think, yeah, I think Gachanik was like what Keith said. They bring them, they, he brings them something this team doesn't have every shift. I thought also Matthews, if you want to talk about the best players, yeah, the Spezza was a big goal. Galchenyuk Engvall came in, played well, but I thought Matthews again, when he's physical like that, it's just a different game. And on the goal he scored, I know you're going to say, well, it looked great. He threw the neutral zone, you know, it played good defense coming up transition, kicks the puck out to hall wide, and then he drives the net. No, that's all great. And I expect him to do all that. Something Matthews does there on that goal that, 99% of players don't do is that when you do drive the net, he actually puts his stick on the ice. And I don't know if they said on the broadcast or not, but usually you go to the net, you're kind of sticks up in the air. You're just going hard, right? Matthews knows that if that puck comes off of the goaltender, if it comes off price, you don't have time to put your stick down. That puck's usually gone by you by him putting the stick on the ice. And you just say, well, that's an easy goal. That's not easy. That's not something easy to do. Drive the net hard and put your stick on the ice. And he does it. He knows that. So there's all these little things he's adding to his game. I, I thought he was excellent in game two. Yeah, he was the best player on the ice. I thought Josh Anderson was the best player on the ice in game one. Uh, Austin yeah. Matthews, the best player on the ice in, in game two. And and I, the, uh, well, I think the Leafs, yeah. I mean, they need to get more of that. And and I fully expect, I fully expect that they will I, i'm sitting here sounding overconfident and i shouldn't be i mean psychologically scarred leafs fan through all these years uh, but but game two was a huge bounce back just given everything ziggy that's gone on well right? you mentioned john you mentioned john and you, you mentioned you mentioned josh anderson why is he playing 16 minutes like i i as a leafs fan you gotta love it but yeah. how is this guy not playing 22 23 yeah but but I will say this. Remember when we were talking about Austin Matthews minutes when he was playing 17 and 18? You don't know. Like, I need to see Josh Anderson the last time he played 21 like minutes. Like Anderson. Because Anderson. Yeah, but Anderson also doesn't kill penalties. Right? I know. But I know. But what I want to know is that once your minutes go up, some guys, some of their games tail off. I'm not saying that's with Josh Anderson, but you're in the playoffs. You, you, how does that guy not your top minute getter on up front for you. I don't get it. He's just, I know we talked about him after, after game one, but having him play 60 minutes in that, uh, maybe they think the game was put away. You didn't want to play him, but even in the first period, that guy has to play more minutes. If you're the Canadians, I, I, I didn't, I really, it's a head scratcher for me. Uh, more hockey talk coming up. We're all over the Leafs and Habs game three tonight. The Oilers are up against it. They had a four, one third period lead. They lost 5-4 in overtime. That's never happened before. I just wanted to be the millionth and first person to make that joke. Right? <laughs> so I had to, had to throw it out there. And we've got two teams that have advanced to the second round. Please don't let it be a collision course for the Leafs getting through the North <laughs> Division. and Just Boston cleaning house of their old captain. And the Washington Capitals, who, by the way, have not won a playoff series since they won the Stanley Cup over Vegas three years ago. Colorado gets rid of St. Louis. We'll get into that. And then we got a series, Nashville and Carolina. They, they're playing a lot of hockey, a lot of extra hockey. Uh, but Nashville has gotten right back into it. 
Phil Mickelson at 50 years old, PGA championship winner, oldest, oldest player to win a major. And the Blue Jays, I'll get into the state of their pitching. I don't think this team is sunk by any stretch of the imagination, but this front office cannot I'm going to say cannot sleep on its pitching. It's not sleeping on its pitching. I'm sure its pitching is keeping it up at night. This front office needs to deal with its pitching ASAP. Game three tonight. Leafs all over Montreal on Saturday. Did the power play finally awaken? Austin Matthews, the best player on the ice. The Leafs with almost as many shots in the second period alone as the Habs had in the entire game. I love how they stuck with Rasmus Sandin as well. Ziggy, there's a now, there's a present to this. There's also a future play to this. Like... I, I Rasmus Sandin's going to be a regular next year. You you can just you can see it, right? Yeah. I well, well everyone's saying while well, he was on the ice for two goals in the first one, it, you can if you have to pin it on any player, you can throw it on him. Well, the power play goal against it was in game one. He's at the end of his shift, right? So he's tired, can't can't chase down Paul Byron. Um, the other goal, I don't know. I think there are some situations in a game. Where D get caught? I wouldn't say. You know, I know we came on the radio the next day after Game One, and we're and, and a lot of what we were talking about was, well, if Dermot's on the ice, does that happen? Right. Um, I don't know if you can just blame him for that, but you know, Bogosian's on the ice as well in that situation. So you have the one play, but he's a my, you know, he's a dash two in the game. Do you do you change him up? I thought a lot. I thought the, the rest of his game was pretty good, but I think most people watching it, you kind of write Sandine off in game one, which a lot of people did. And the coaching staff knows, like when you go and look at a game, you don't just you don't look at a stat sheet and say, well, this guy's a minus three or this guy's analytics and zone exits weren't good or I you know they they break down the game. So in so much more of a detailed way, and I'm not saying they don't look at analytics to evaluate players. Um, we would do it at U of T. Like they're a part of the game; it's information. But a, a coaching staff will look at much more. You go over the tape, you see anything you might have missed, and then you evaluate and you and you go from there. So they looked at what he did, his body of work from game one, and just realized that this is a guy that actually wasn't that bad. And we're going to stick with him. I also think that the power play needs him. And he had a massive power play goal. He's a guy that shoots the puck. I like what he does at the point. He's good at manipulating the box. And every game he gets, he's going to get that much better. If you want to say that, you know, there's times during the game where he looks like he gets overpowered. Well, it's going to happen. He's not a big guy, but I think he's smart enough to... I think he's smart enough to to realize what he can and cannot do and where to put himself on the ice, his body positioning. He does the reverse check better than anybody else in the league. We saw the hit on Wheeler. I think he did it a couple times um, in game two. I'm trying to think of the big Montreal forward who he kind of 
did uh, like that reverse hip body check going in for a puck. He needs to do that because if he just goes in and plays the puck he's going back for, he's going to get crushed. But then at the end of the game, he's not going to be able to stand up out there. So he knows the way he has to play. And as he gets more experience, he's going to become one of the one of the better defensemen in the league. I, I if he wants to go out and get it, I I think I think that much of him in his skill level. But he's changed this power play. And you just let him get a little bit more uncomfortable. Let him get more comfortable out there. And yeah, I mean, it's, he's the, he's a guy they, he's a guy they're going to rely on. I, I think that I, I, I didn't think he should have came out of the lineup in game two. No, I agree with you. And I, that's yeah. why I'm saying I'm, I'm happy they stuck with him. He only played yeah. nine and a half minutes, even strength, right? I mean, five or so minutes of his 14 and a half out there on the ice. We're on the power play, and and that's what we expect of him. Here's Sheldon Keefe saying, "Look, we believe in the kid." You know, with with Rasmus, um, the payoff uh, it can be really big for us in terms of his skill set and what he can bring, and that requires a little extra patience on our side. And, and uh, I just had really had belief that he was going to be better today than he was in the first game. And at the same time, I came away from watching the first game in its totality. I came away feeling a lot better about his game and not just focusing on the one mistake, which we we tend to do that a lot. Certainly media does that, but even coaches uh, tend to do that at times. And that's why it's important to take the time the next day to break it down. Leafs and Habs game three tonight, man. Yeah. Did Boston wax Washington? Like, see ya. Yeah, no chance. Taylor Hall, just the whole. Taylor Hall looks good. They just won't age, Ziggy. They won't the perfect, age. The perfection line is, yeah. I mean, it's they've got everything. The Pasternak goal coming down the left side, um, undressing Dowd, and then coming through cross crease like that. I don't know. Like I, they have a little bit of everything. It's like faceoffs, Marchand in the corner. Um, they they're patient with the puck. They don't throw it away. It's just. Whatever game you want to play, you want to play rough, we'll play rough. You want to play skilled, we'll play skilled. You want to make it a one-goal game, we'll do it. And that's, you say what you want about them, the perfection line, and they put up goals, and they're tough to play against. The thing about them for me is that whatever you throw at them, they'll play, and they'll figure out a way to beat you, and that's a true sign of a champion. Doesn't matter kind of, you know... It's like a game of cards, a game of poker. Everybody everybody gets dealt certain cards. Everyone gets a chance with a nice hand, right? And they find a way to beat you with a good hand, and they find a way to beat you with a bad hand every time. It's just well, it's that just, line. It's just the prediction has been for like five or six years that they'll be dealt a 2-4 offsuit. <laughs> and it's just they every They find year. a way to get it done. Yeah, they find a way to get it done. And, I mean, Tuka Rask, say what you want about him, but... He shows up to play in these like elimination games. Like what's his record? It's got to be like, it's, he's got to have some crazy stat of, of games that when, the, when the, when the chips are in the middle, it, he's the best player on the ice. He always finds a way to get it done. And we talk about that with goaltenders. Some guys get it done and some guys just, I don't, the pressure gets to them the moment and they just can't f- seem to, to win those games. But Tuka, he he's, elimination games he's got he's got to be one of the best since he came into the I mean I I don't know I don't know if you can actually draw up a list of these types of guys I think Patrice Bergeron is the best player of this generation that doesn't get talked about often enough it's quiet yeah very quiet and it's probably because he doesn't he doesn't blow you away with 45 50 goal seasons he's not 
He's not coming up with 90 points in, in 82 games. It's both ends of the ice. He's a dominant in the in the circle, wins face-offs, kills penalties, power play. Like, he does everything. And obviously, within hockey circles, Ziggy, he's highly respected. I mean, this is a Canadian Olympian. I mean, only the best make the Canadian Olympic team, right? So yeah. uh, within the game, I think he's... He's he's right up there and everybody knows it, but and and we're yeah. probably hesitant to talk about it here in Toronto just because of our damage against the Bruins and and everything that's happened. But man, oh man, it, it, the first the first moment he's eligible for Hall of Fame induction, he's going in. Mm-hmm. And don't even yeah. think twice. Don't even think yeah, twice. No, yeah, he's in for me. Um, yeah, he does everything: kills penalties, power play, faceoffs. Plays the game. He's got a little. He's he's not afraid to finish his check. He doesn't shy away from the front of the net. He does it all. He can play with anyone. Uh, the thing for the Bruins that stick out for me is that this isn't like Pasternak, Marchand, and, and Bergeron. It's not like they play twenty four minutes a night and they need ice time to get it done. Like Bergeron's at seventeen minutes. Marchand's at at nineteen. Um, Pasternak's at sixteen. Like Taylor Hall had 13 minutes, you know, like they're a team that they beat you with four lines. And that's as the playoffs get going right now, you're going to need that. You add in back, you add back-to-back games like the Leafs are going to play here, right? Today and tomorrow, you, you it's tough to throw out a guy for 23 minutes, expect you to carry the team and then him to go out the next night and do it again after playing big minutes. It just just look at look at what the Bruins do. Look how they beat you. And they, they didn't have a four, four they lines. didn't have a forward play twenty minutes last night. Marchand, nineteen minutes, go. ten seconds. I, I just there and look look at it. And that's that's a big game. Like you want to close out the Capitals when you have a chance. And they beat them by rolling the lines. Everybody's bought in. They, there's there's no passengers. And that's a problem. Like when we come on the radio the next day and we break down a Leafs game, we're like, well, this guy wasn't great. Or this guy's given up, you know, too many giveaways with this player, or this guy's not good defensively. It's a problem. Like you're not going to go anywhere. You can win the odd game. You might even win a series, but it's tough to really go anywhere. So the Bruins team, it's you, you watch them play and you just say, who, who's going to beat them? Like when they play like that, who, who like, Maybe Colorado, Vegas. Um, you know, I, there's just not a lot of teams when they're playing like that that you can actually say that we have a chance. Like, oh, they might lose this series. I, I right now they have it's it's working for them. There's no kind of weak spots in their game, and yeah. and they're gonna I, and yeah. they're gonna play an opponent that that's gone deep. Right, Islanders and yeah. Penguins are tied two two. Game five is in Pittsburgh tonight. It's at least going six back to the island. So, it, and that's a knockdown drag about highly, highly physical series between the Isles and the Penguins. Yeah. So the Bruins are going to get a team that's got some bumps and bruises heading yeah, into the second guy, round. They'll be seven, well rested. Yeah. If that goes seven games, which there's a good chance it will, it's going six. Then I'm, you know, I, I think the Bruins odds go up even higher, right? And you got the Avalanche sweeping out the St. Louis Blues, which is, this. these aren't, our dad, St. Louis Blues, <laughs> a couple of years ago. I mean, a lot of a lot has changed, especially on the back end. But man, that Colorado team is stout. They didn't miss a beat post Nazem Kadri, and and Naz is going to appeal this eight game suspension. So the way that plays out, Zig, is 
Gary Bettman is the arbiter. And if Nas is not happy with the ruling that the commissioner lays down, he can then appeal to an independent arbitrator. The difference between baseball and hockey is that in baseball, if you're appealing a suspension, you play until a hearing and then the appeal is ruled upon. In hockey, you're out until such time as there's a hearing. Mm -hmm. So it's got to happen quickly, and it will. And there's time now because Colorado's got a week off here until they they play their second-round series against either Vegas or Minnesota, and it looks like it'll be the Golden Knights. Um, I, I just always find this process fascinating because the Department of Player Safety made a ruling on Nazem Kadri's hit on Justin Falk. Is the commissioner going to go against George Peros by knocking that thing down two or three games, especially in the aftermath of everything that has gone on with Peros in the last few weeks pertaining to Tom Wilson? And this feels like a circle the wagon situation. I didn't like the hit. I'm okay with the eight-game suspension. It's a little steep. Like it's eight steep. games is, is eight, eight games playoff in the games playoffs. Too. That's is, twenty-four is six, games or sixteen or twenty-four games. Six, I, I think they, I think they, I think they double it in the in the regular season, right? So and he's technically not a repeat offender because he's been clean but for eighteen is, months, though. but he is. He is. He is. If your past does affect how they suspend you, it it does. I didn't like the hit either. I'm just letting you know. I can tell when guys are trying to target another player or catch a guy not looking. Falk had the was shooting the puck. It wasn't like he shot the puck and then was like looking at his shot or they say, don't look at your pass when you're coming through the middle. I didn't like the hit. I didn't like how it almost looked like his elbow got up there, but he made a piece of his shoulder or an elbow made contact with the head. The league's trying to crack down on these hits. It's just been so it's been so inconsistent. I don't know what is what at this point. Like, it's just, I, I feel like the rules are different for different guys in different situations. But a I, lot of the that's, guys that's don't throw about. that hit, Ziggy, at, in yeah. this day and age. 20 years ago, most guys are stepping into it because it's legal. But most most players, that's the that's the edge. That's the ledge that, that Nas skates on, walks on. Yeah, I just don't, I didn't think he was trying to make head, con- like, when those hits happen, like, when you look at the Nas hit, it's different than the, all those old headshots where a guy shoots the puck and gets clipped coming across the ice like a second and a half later and all, yeah. It's nothing it's that it, it looks the same but it's not. Falk was in the process of shooting the puck when he got hit. They're totally different. I I am not I'm not defending Kadri in the situation. I'm just I I don't like when it's compared to all those old two second late hits with elbow to the head. This is a guy that had the puck and shooting. I just, I don't think Kadri's first thought was, okay, this guy shoot. I'm going to catch him with his head down and I'm going to give him a headshot. There is no way that that's what he was thinking in that situation. It looked bad and it was suspendable, but I thought eight games was a little steep. If, 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 if you're going to like, if you want to suspend that for eight, fine, but do it for the rest of them. All the headshots, like suspend them all. Will Gary, Whittle it down. And what will the headline be in some circles if he does? I mean, because it's it's George Peros who who handed down the eight game suspension. I don't think that I think it's because it's Kadri. They don't do it. Exactly. I'm, I don't I don't really I don't want to get in that conversation, but 
I, I don't, I, because it's Kadri. Well, I'd say because it's Kadri, it. it was eight games in the first place. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think that that uh, the reputation, the reputation precedes him. And I think Nazem in his own way was a victim of timing because the league took such a hard hit for its handling or lack thereof of the Tom Wilson situation with the New York Rangers. And then it ended up in a, in a line brawl two nights later and, and, and all of that. So I think, I think sometimes these things are time sensitive and the league took a hit in a lot of circles uh, just a few weeks ago with that, with that Capitals Rangers situation. Phil Mickelson gets it done at 50 years old. There's hope for all of us last long enough. And the heel becomes a universal baby face. Phil Mickelson beloved the crowd. Yes, the crowd. There was a crowd. Goes wild. We'll talk about it next. going to be the sober one on the Blue Jays talk today? Is it, it's, oh, it's never, it's never as dim or as dark as it seems, huh? Yeah. No, I just, yes, they should have won yesterday. I know it's a five game losing streak now as well, but Friday, what you said, Wednesday, Wednesday they should have won. It's like, I you know you, you string together five losses and then you pick apart, you pick apart everything, right? So I just, I, I don't think it's as bad as, I think everything's been the same all year. Just a lot of injuries. You're starting to see some blemishes out of the bullpen because they're just like you say all the time. They can't keep getting worked like this and expect to be consistent. Like you can't keep going to them to win every game. And that's what's happening. We're getting the starts out of a we need to. He wasn't great yesterday, but good enough to win. And that's all you needed. You just, you have the the lead late in the game like that. And all of a sudden you're walking guys in. It's just, I, I, I would have liked to seen chat would stay in. That's my only thing. I I'm sure the numbers said he should have came out. Bergen should have gone in. I don't know where Romano was. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but well, I bringing Bergen in here. Here's, I don't agree with bringing Bergen in under any circumstance. I'm willing to listen to an argument a couple of years ago because if you're thinking, all right, Chatwood doesn't have it, bases loaded, two outs, a run is already in, we're only up one, we want Bergen, the left-hander, to face Austin Meadows, the left-handed hitter for Tampa Bay, and then if he doesn't get him and the game is tied or if Meadows gets a a two-run single and, and Tampa takes the lead, like whatever bad happens... We'll go to the right-hander, whoever we have warming up in the bullpen, A.J. Cole or whoever it might be. Okay, I I can listen. I don't agree with it, but I can listen to that argument. But 2020, 2021, and forevermore, apparently, there's this three-batter minimum. So if Travis Bergen doesn't get Austin Meadows, you then have a young rookie left-hander against Manuel Margot and Mike Brasso. Two right-handed hitters who hit left-handers really, really well. And we saw what happened. He couldn't find the strike zone, and the meltdown was complete. 
We'll get into this a little bit more later, and Stephen Brunt will join us at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. What we're seeing, Ziggy, is the expiry date on the lifespan for the organization's approach to its starting pitching so far this season. There was no way that they were going to be able to trot out a two- or a three-man legitimate starting rotation and try to fill in the extra two spots. Not the extra two spots. Shouldn't word it that way. Five-man rotation typically in baseball. Try to fill in two of the five spots every turn through the rotation. Expect to be able to carry this through all the way to the end of the season. And, and, and that approach has reached its expiry. They have burnt out the bullpen. Some guys are injured. Other guys who are pitching right now have been injured and are back and are not as productive um, as they were before. They need two more starting pitchers. They are good enough to compete this season. And this losing streak does not change that. It sucks that Boston, Tampa Bay, and and the Yankees are all on winning streaks as the Jays are losing because you're dropping a game in the standings each and every day. But there's plenty of baseball left to play. What they need, and this is much easier said than done, is to properly address 40% of their starting rotation. And they need to do it, I'm about to say ASAP, but pretty much right now. Uh, Brun will join us in an hour. We'll get into that. John Paul Morosi as well at 735. Rick Vive, former Leafs captain next hour. Adam Stanley covering golf for Sportsnet. Fig Jam. Phil Mickelson gets it done at 50 years old. And the world celebrates. We're also all over the Leafs and Habs. Game three. Keep that power play going. And Austin's got to stay dominant. Dropping it back for Matthews into the slot, a pass, and Marner gets it back to Sandy, who scores! Holy Mackinac, what a bullet from the youngster, and Sandine has given the Leafs a power play goal. All right, Ziggy, let's play a game. How is Hugh doing today? You confident in your hockey team? Oh, Yusuf? Sorry, I was air drumming there. I... Am I confident in my hockey? No, of course not. Not after that debacle on Saturday night. Boy, the Leafs look good. They were... The, uh, uh, the bear woke up on Saturday night. Uh, that power play all of a sudden became a power play. Um... Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a tough one. Well, right here's now here's Ziggy, like Ziggy. I think I think Montreal. We speculated about this before game one. Like Montreal was going to try and and play a physical game against the Leafs, and when you do that, there's a line that you walk. There was a lot of stick work on Saturday night, and if the officiating continues to call the penalties as they see them on the ice, and they don't get caught up in one team having far more power plays than another. And if the Leafs get those power plays and they score on them, then Montreal is not going to have a chance. Like Montreal yeah. can't slow this Leafs team down if it's going. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't like I was trying to think of, well, the the calls weren't even right. And then you want to look at the game and you say, well, was there an unfair advantage? Like, do they not want the Leafs to fall down? zero and two in this situation, like uh, everyone wants the Leafs to win this outside of Toronto. Even like, I, I'm sorry to tell Montreal fans that well, I don't think on. you're not doing a conspiracy theory thing. I'm are not. You? I'm just saying that Sounds like, like everybody, everybody <laughs> wants the Leafs to win. Like it's not, a, it's not a, is that a surprise to anybody? No. I, I mean, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Like I, I didn't think the, 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 I didn't think the officiating was off at all. I even thought they missed a couple against the Canadians. The one where Simmons kind of got tripped to the neutral zone. I thought that should have been a call, but it, it got rough in front of the net. Like I know Shea Weber got fined $5,000. Um, Simmons was doing a great job. Like he finds a way to contribute. Like if he's not scoring or he's not in the power play, he's not doing, he's not, doesn't have any good shifts down low. He finds a way to help his team, whether it's drawing a penalty, getting to the front of the net, getting under the skin. Just he does something for the Leafs. Uh, he finds some way to get something done. And not always the easiest thing, right? When you have to go and find something in a game or you might not have it or you don't really have any good offensive zone time. Simmons finds a way to get it done. And that's that's the reason they brought him in. Um I know he's on the fourth line and not getting the minutes he probably wants. Even, you know, I, I, we know he can score, right? We know he's going to score a big goal too. I said Engvall is going to score a big goal. Galchenyuk, Simmons, like all three of those guys will score big goals at some time during this playoffs. Leafs and uh, Habs tonight, game three in Montreal, the first of a back-to-back. The Oilers and Jets play the back end of their back-to-back in Winnipeg, and Edmonton's got to bounce back tonight. They had a 4-1 third-period lead, coughed it up, lost 5-4 in overtime, cue the jokes. <laughs> Hellebuck plays decent, it's over. Yeah. Like, I, it's over, just decent. Not really well, just decent, uh, it's done. I mean, it's and, You know, it's funny. I, I, think, I think we take any opportunity in this market to jump down the throats of any other fan base in this country. Yeah, right? especially it's hurtful, especially well, no, but especially after especially after the North Division and the rivalries of this season and all of that stuff. I, I don't think anybody in Toronto was laughing at the Oilers last night. That was one big ball of PTSD. Yeah, brought back a lot of bad memories. Four one leads uh, for the Leafs. It I don't know, man, it, it's. I know Connor McDavid was saying the right things after the game. Well, we've dug ourselves a hole. We've got to take it they're one done. game at a time. But at the end of the day, they're human beings. You're down three games to none. Yeah, but it's not you just, just blew you were, it. It's not just yeah, yeah. It's not just being down three it's nothing. The it's the way you lost, you lost yeah. the third game. Yeah. It's the way you lost the third game, and that yeah. you got to come back and they're get done. it done. Well, tonight. And then, and I got I was getting a couple of messages after our first segment on saying, well, can you expand on what you mean about? McDavid and players wanting out and the best players, you know, how you build around them. What I was trying to say is that everyone's saying free McDavid. So if you're saying free McDavid and get him out of there, you're saying he needs to be around better players to win. That's essentially, is that not what you're saying? If you're saying get McDavid out of Edmonton, he can't, he needs better players to win. That's essentially what you're saying. Um, And if you're supposed to be the best player in the league, I understand you need good players to play with. But you should be the one that everyone wants to come and play with. You're the one that, sh- if you're the best in the league, it's not just McDavid, Dry Settle. It's Matthews. It's it's Crosby. It's McKinnon. Like 
when McKinnon's going through tough times in Colorado, yes, they've added around him, but it's pretty much the same thing. He's just finding a way to, to become a better player and make everybody else around him, whether that's the guys on your line or guys that are going on after you or in the room. Like what, like what, where, where's your, but if there's I, I a think, lack I of think, depth, Ziggy and a talent deficiency, how, how can, how can Connor McDavid, he can't just give the third and fourth liners on the Oilers, a bunch of pills that turn them into superstars. Right. Yeah. It's just I, I, like, I, I understand what you're saying and, and the psychological aspect of it, but how many times, how many times have we actually sat down and said, this guy carried a team to a Stanley Cup championship? He might have been the best player on a team, obviously. Like Phil Kessel had a great run with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but in my view, he only did because he was playing on the third line on a team that was dominated up the middle by, by Crosby and Malkin, right? Like Kessel could do things with Pittsburgh and accomplish things in May and June that he was never going to accomplish with the Maple Leafs as that team's best player. You know, so I... Hockey's... Basketball, it's one thing. You got five guys on each side on the floor, and and your best players are playing 40-plus minutes out of 48 every night. Hockey, it's a flow game. Connor McDavid's playing 20 to 23 minutes out of 60, right? Yeah. Or more if it's if it's an overtime game. It, it, yeah. It's just harder in hockey, I think. Yeah, I no, you can't. It's not a one. I understand that it's not. Even with the best goaltender in the league, you can't win it all. You have the best player in the league. Look what they're down. You know, they're one game away from being not even one. Imagine they don't win a playoff game in Edmonton. Like I know I've been talking about dry settle McDavid versus Matthews and Marner. One of them is, is going to lose is not going to get out of the second round and how devastating that would be for one, but for McDavid and dry settle, not to win a playoff game. I know I warned you about Winnipeg, right? I warned you about mm -hmm. how good this team is. Did I think they were this good? I don't think I thought they were this good, but I told you it's not the Edmonton's in for is going to be in for a tough one. I had them Winnipeg winning the series, but not winning a playoff game. They don't pull it off tonight. I just, it's the best two. like you can make cases. You have the best two players in the NHL. It's like, well, what did the Penguins do once Crosby and Malkin got to that point? They went to a, cup final and then they won it the following year when they were still young like were they not younger than mcdavid and yes Dreisaitl crosby were? yeah crosby was in his third year when because 0506 was his rookie year coming out of the the lockout right they missed they went out in the first round in 0607 and then in 0708 they went to the cup final lost to detroit and won in the year you were there in year four 0809 yeah mm -hmm. there's just there's a chemistry thing with your top players and everybody else and it's a mix that you have to keep working on. And right now, the mix there is not right. And you can say it's a number of things. It's they don't have the depth. Um, they don't have the right coaching staff. They don't have the right prospects in the system. Like there, there, There's so many things you can look at when you're not playing. Like, I can grab anything you want from a team like the Oilers right now, and you can make a case for why they're not winning. But at the end of the day, you have the best two players in the league. And you have a decent goaltender, although I didn't like a couple of Smitty let in yesterday. And this team just, you, you, you don't, you, you really like, if you're management, you're sitting there, well, what do I need? Like if you're Kenny Hall, like what, what do I, 
what do I add to this team? I, I don't, like, do you wait for more prospects to come up? Do you go out and make a big splash in free agency? Well, now you don't have the money. It's a flat cap. Like what are they, what can they do? Right. Um, okay. Well, let's, just, let's play a quick yes or no game with two of their big impending UFAs. And, and I know it's your, the response to the question will be, well, what's the term and what's the dollar, but just sort of assuming all things are equal. However you value these players at term and dollar determines your answer. Do you bring RNH back, Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Do you if re-sign you can, him? At the, at the right number, you do, but you don't go crazy. Do you bring like, Tyson Berry back? No. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, like I, there, there has to be, it's, for me, it's up front, like uh, as good as RNH is, like I, I don't know. I don't know, like, he's a great guy when you don't have, like, if you can get Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and McDavid out on the ice at all times, that should be good enough for your team to be really hard to play against up front. But it's just the McDavid giveaway on the Morrissey goal. I'm just, that's your best, like, imagine Matthews gave a puck away like that. Can't happen. It would be like a two-hour conversation with us in the morning. Like it, it's it, it, literally it would. What would like we just, be doing the third hour? Yeah, <laughs> <That's> we'd be, <laughs> we'd be finding right out. Back. We'd finding be out starting who, the conversation. No, yeah. <laughs> finding out who to replace them yeah, with. No, oh God! Oh yeah, free no, Matthews. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. But it's just like I, I, yeah, I. It's just it's a it's the it, I don't like the mix right now in Edmonton. Um, and what's missing? I. But the whole free McDavid thing, I don't, it's not like, where's McDavid go? Like, where do you want him to go? Who's going to trade for him? Like, I just, I don't know. You're not going to win that trade either. Like, it's like Jack Eichel in Buffalo. When you get a player this good, it's just, you can't win. The people saying free McDavid don't care about the Oilers. They, they, know, they, they care about Connor and they want him I know. out of Edmonton, I know. right? And people love to speculate too, because it's not pleasant there. In January, it's cold and dark, and and how long do you want to not have success and 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 play in Edmonton? I think that that's all tied in. We'll get back into that. Uh, John Paul Morosi will join us in about twenty minutes' time as well. Here's Adam Stanley uh, covering golf for Sportsnet, and he is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Uh, Mr. Stanley, the PGA Championship, Kiowa Island, Phil Mickelson. Live long enough and that sort of heel or or that guy who's a tweener, some love him, some hate him, becomes universally beloved. And it's a reminder uh, not just of what Phil Mickelson can do at his age, it's a reminder of what the environment is like when there is a crowd that is 100% behind a guy. That was a hell of a scene yesterday. Wasn't that nuts? <laughs> I'm still like, you know, just thinking about it, just being able to watch it. Uh, I'm sure being in it was not that great. I mean, Brooks Kepka said as such afterwards, it wasn't awesome getting knocked around by, by the crowd. But for us to kind of see it from afar and to realize, you know, this is what sports is about. Sports is about moments and sports are about scenes. And we got treated to an absolutely, you know, 10 out of 10 moment and a 10 out of 10 scene yesterday. Uh, and that's, I think, the beauty of golf. 
I mean, it's Phil Mickelson. The guy is 50 years old. He turns 51 in about three weeks. And, you know, he took down the toughest field in major championship golf. He won his sixth major. He became the oldest person to ever win a, a major in the history of golf. Uh, and I think the crowd really just respected it. I mean, for all of the, the ha-has at Phil Mickelson and what he does on social media and, you know, the diets and the aviators and the this, that, and the next thing, I mean, the guy is still pretty good at golf. <laughs> it, was, it was really cool to see yesterday. Outside of DeChambeau, I'm trying to think of another player where I've had to tune in or I couldn't turn off a tournament other than Tiger Woods. How would you rate the Philly Mick mania yesterday versus like a tiger 2019 or I don't want to compare anything to tiger in his prime. Cause I think that was much watch TV, but must watch TV. But what did you think about Philly Mick and you know, the, about a player that you, you can actually look to, to actually turn on a PGA tour event because they just, there's not many players that really move the needle. No, uh, you're right. And I mean, Phil's been doing this, you know, for 30 plus years. And I don't think for any of those 30 years has he kind of been, we all want to watch Phil for better or for worse, because for so many years, it was like this, this heartbreakingly agonizing situation that could unfold in front of us. And now it's like, Oh my gosh, the guy's 50 years old and it could go, you know, one way or it could go the other way, good or bad, but he still is much must watch TV. I would say it's a good point. Tiger's kind of in his own category. Tiger is Tiger, and everything that he does is kind of just ranked up against other things that Tiger Woods does. But for for everybody else, I think Jordan Spieth is much must-watch TV kind of for the same reason as Phil because you don't really know what you're going to get from him. Uh, I think Rory McIlroy as well is, is must-watch must TV. When when he won a couple weeks ago at the Wells Fargo, I, I you know, reading social media, you see a lot of people being like, well, I finally tuned in to watch a PGA Tour event because Rory McIlroy was winning. Bryson, of course, uh, because of everything that he does off the tee. Uh, and then there's Phil. So I think we've got a small handful of guys who transcend the sport. I think Phil Mickelson is one of those guys, even a casual sports fan, was watching this yesterday. Uh, and it was just awesome. It was just really, really cool. Adam, that, that your final comment there leads quite nicely into what I'm about to ask you and his appeal to not just golf fans, but maybe just to the casual fan who, who will tune in to see, oh, who's winning the majors? What is it about this guy? We've, we've all heard, you know, the stories uh, about Phil. We all, we all understand what the nickname Big Jam, Big Jam means. <laughs> Big Jam, yeah. <laughs> we, we hear that perhaps he's not the most well-liked guy amongst his peers on tour. It, he always seems like I, I've come, I was telling Scotty off the air, I've come a complete 180 on Phil Mickelson. I, I used to not like the guy. Now I love him. I, I, I can't get enough of him. Well, it's, it's because he's old. Yeah. And so to accomplish it's, it's, this so, is... So am I, exactly. We have that in common. Uh, that and really good golfers. No, but I, but, but I, I mean, like, what is it about him that, that keeps drawing people to him he always looks like he's very he, he he's very he just did something very clever and he's he's aw shucks and all that kind of thing what is it about phil mickelson that that just gravitates fans well i i think part of the reason why he was polarizing and i think part of the reason why you're certainly not alone in feeling the way that you feel about phil is that for 20 years 25 years it was always the anti-tiger it was tiger and phil 
and you're obviously a Tiger person. And, and that's just the case for, you know, 99% of the golfing public out there. I think most people just were Tiger people. And Phil was there, and Phil was in the way of Tiger having success. I mean, even Rory McIlroy himself said that uh, on his post-round media availability yesterday. Somebody asked him, hey, uh, hey, uh, Rory, what's your first memory of watching Phil? And he's like, I don't know. I was too busy watching Tiger. And I think that I think that that's pretty common for for most of the guys. But now that they've become in the arena with Phil Mickelson, and you know, there's just been so much respect and et cetera, et cetera. And then now that you know, Tiger's not here as much, and, and certainly uh, the the question remains as to when he's going to come back. Uh, it's it's Phil. Phil's kind of taken that mantle for you know this big generation of golfers who are all inspired by Tiger to now have this respect and, and even admiration for Phil because he was around and you know had not, had Tiger not been around, you know we would be talking about Phil as the best player bar none of that generation. I mean six majors. If you take every top player in golf right now, they're all chasing Phil. Phil's trying to chase Arnold Palmer. Phil's trying to chase history right now with his major collection. So I think you just, even if you don't really love him, I think a lot of people have come around to him and you absolutely 100% have to respect him. Adam Stanley covers golf for Sportsnet. This is leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. What'd you think about Kepka's comments on the fans running into him and his knee, a little bit of sour grapes there, just, didn't have it yesterday or is that Brooks being Brooks? <laughs> I think it's a combination of both. I mean, if Brooks was, <laughs> if Brooks was winning that golf tournament yesterday, I don't think he would have minded if people were, if people were knocking, knocking into him. But the fact yeah. that Brooks played like garbage for most of the day, um, you know, that's certainly going to play a role in it. So yes, was the scene pretty cool to, to watch? Absolutely. Was the scene a little bit out of control? Also, absolutely. I mean, we are, still in the middle of a uh, health pandemic, despite the fact that it didn't quite look that way down in South Carolina. But um, I think that that just added a, a bunch of layers of buzz to the event and to the celebration and to, to Phil's win and, and Brooks, you know, it, it's funny. You would have thought that Brooks was kind of the, this major killer and, and he keeps showing up at the top of leaderboards at major championships, but he certainly just didn't have it yesterday. I think it was one of those weeks where, it's just hard to string four good rounds together when you're not at 100% health. And we, we saw that from Brooks Kepka on Sunday, despite the fact that he had played pretty well up to that point. Adam, uh, we're right up against it, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Corey Connors. I mean, it's another top 20, top 25 finish for him. He's had a season full of them. Um, so, well, he's you know got the lead after, after Thursday's round and, and falls back a bit. He's got to be happy with the broader play here over the last six to eight months. Yeah, I mean, you said it. It was his 14th top 25 finish this season in just 20 events. 14 out of 20 events, he's finished in the top 25, and that includes three top 20s at majors. So Corey just keeps putting himself in good positions. The putter let him down yesterday. He had nine birdie tries of less than 20 feet, missed them all. So you know, Corey was right there. He was right there with a chance, certainly after Thursday and again, even uh, after Sunday, but he keeps putting himself in positions at the biggest tournaments in the game. And he just feels more comfortable with that position with his game as a whole. And he's already excited for the U S open next month.
Great stuff, Adam. We'll do it again very soon. And uh, with the U.S. Open coming next month, we'll be uh, having you on a lot. Look forward to it, pal. Can't wait, guys. Thank you. Adam Stanley covering golf for Sportsnet, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. The Blue Jays' approach to their starting rotation has caught up to the bullpen, and this team is losing games that it's well-positioned to win in the late innings. They need to solve this problem. The question is how? We'll ask John Paul Morosi next. Today, 21 for the high on May 2-4, quite literally. It is May the 24th. Happy Holiday Monday. Blue Jays play a 1 o'clock, I guess it's a holiday, but also a getaway day game as they conclude their four-game wraparound series with the Tampa Bay Rays looking to salvage something after another heartbreaker yesterday, and it doesn't get any easier for the Blue Jays. They'll fly to New York City tonight to open up a three-game series with the Yankees tomorrow. And while the Jays are doing all this losing five in a row, the Rays obviously playing the Jays are winning. The Red Sox are winning. The Yankees are on a six-game winning streak. So the Jays are dropping a game to all of their division rivals essentially every day these days. they got to pick up the pieces and figure it out. John Paul Morosi is with us from MLB Network and Sirius XM MLB Radio. Our baseball insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's May 2-4 weekend, John, which is about two beers short of what we need to get through a Blue Jays game these days. <laughs> God. Well, happy Victoria Day to uh, both of you and all of our great listeners today. Uh, yes, I, I know that was not an easy way for... The Jays to lose that ball game yesterday, nor has this losing streak been easy. But you do have great holiday hockey ahead, too. You've got the Leafs and Habs. That's going to be a lot of fun tonight, right? Absolutely, absolutely. The Red Wings fit in there somewhere. And look, we don't have so enough time. Somewhere. And we don't, we don't, we don't have enough time to have you rank your favorite British queens of all time either. So I, I don't know where Victoria ranks for you. Uh, Liz has done all right, though. She's into like her seventy-second year or something like that. It's not. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. We value we value uh, endurance, perseverance, <laughs> yes. all things the Jays' rotation must yes. try to appropriate as yes. they move forward. Endurance, something their starting oh, yeah, rotation transition. generally has la- <laughs> lacked. I like that. We were on the we were on the same page. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, it was okay for the Blue Jays to approach their starting rotation in the way that they have for a little while out of the gate. But I think everybody knew that that approach, having two or three guys that you trust and then trying to fill in the other two spots and go multiple innings with different guys, we knew that that had a lifespan. That lifespan has now clearly expired because relievers are either hurt or completely gassed, and it is costing them late in games, especially when they have to use lower leverage guys in higher leverage situations. So let's get to the root of the issue, John, which is 
How do they solve the need to fill two-fifths, 40% of their starting rotation right now? Well, that's an excellent question, and it's a very hard thing to try to do on May the 24th, to, to build in that additional depth. The, the short answer is they're stuck. And uh, I, I was reading Arden's Welling's story this morning at Sportsnet, and I think it was exactly correct, where basically he has a paragraph in there where he describes, as you're describing, that the, the Jays relievers basically fall into one of three categories. Either they're currently hurt, they are struggling because they were overworked earlier in the season because of obvious reasons with the, with the rotation, or they're still being eased back from the IL. And you just simply can't win games in this division that way. That, that, that is an untenable strategy. It's not really any one person's fault here, but I think what it's really proving to us is that if you're going to try to win this division without uh, a one through five dominant rotation, then you either have to get tremendous length from starters four and five, or your bullpen has to be nails. And, and obviously, right now, neither is true for the Jays. And, and, that's, and that's why they are in a really, really tough situation. I, can they make a trade? Perhaps. Uh, really, at this point in time, if you believe that you can win the division this year, and, and we're about to find out based on how the Jays proceed going forward, if you believe you can win the division this year, you probably have to do one of two things. You have to either call up Manoa in the next couple of weeks or, at some point, make a trade in June for a controllable right-handed starter with stuff. The Jays currently in their rotation do not have a right-handed pitcher who throws hard. Uh, Stripling is the only righty they've got, and we know he is not he does not possess overwhelming stuff. So that that is my diagnosis here. They have to get somebody from the right side who can overpower people and take you deep into the game, and if if they can't find that person within, they either have to trade for a, a controllable person like a Luis Castillo from Cincinnati, for example, not a rental because I'm not convinced that this team is good enough for them to get a rental, but someone like a Berrios some, uh, in Minnesota, someone like a Luis Castillo, one of those righties that is going to be with you for next year because I, I don't believe this is also a just a May of 2021 problem. They, they have to find someone uh, from the system, and maybe it is Manoa, but they need, I think, even more than him to really build a, a power-armed rotation to be able to compete in, in 2022 and beyond. And someone they have been getting good outings from every time he's, uh, he's on the mound is Hunjin Ryu, and he was not his best yesterday, but good, right? He allowed eight hits, but seven strikeouts, uh, a couple earned runs. But what comes after him, right? What would you do? And I know there was a lot of chatter last night and this morning about who to put in and who not to put in. And, and Tyler Chatwood didn't seem to have his stuff. But do you leave him in that game? Or I was trying to wonder, like, why not Romano in for Chatwood if he wasn't having it? Like, I, I would have left Chatwood in and let him try to get out of it because of what he's done so far this year. Yeah, a couple of things there, and I think it's a very good question, Mike. I mean, number one, Chatwood has a history of not being able to throw strikes. And so I think that when you see him start to struggle to do that, you you kind of immediately go and, and, and try to rescue him and, and, and get him out of there so at least his, his feeling is not one of total disappointment after the outing. I think that, to me, is, is, one, is one part where you're trying to protect his – uh, his confidence going forward. 
I think your question about Romano was fair because he he had pitched back-to-back days. Again, you're, you're still trying to, on some level, be a little bit cautious with him, but he had pitched back-to-back days that would have been uh, Thursday, Friday, and you would have thought that after uh, so, some rest there he would have been able to go. Uh, but uh, it sounds like after being after going back-to-back days, they wanted to give him two days off. And that, I think, is, is what – uh, speaks to again what Arden wrote, what Scott mentioned earlier too, is that they just they they are stuck because there's not enough arms to cover when you have someone who's down for a couple of days after going back to back days. That that is where they are suffering from a lack of depth. And maybe they can get creative uh, with, with a roster move here or there, pulling up a fresh arm. But they've had to go with so many different pitchers already this season where you've seen names like like Piamps come in and really uh, throw crucial innings for this team. They've already had to go with 23 different pitchers on their active Major League roster, and it's not even the end of May. I mean, that is an extraordinary number of pitchers when you're, when you're usually carrying – in a normal times, you know, twelve or thirteen guys on a uh, on a staff. So basically, they've they've already used double that. They've churned through an entire staff's worth of pitchers in less than two months. And uh, I, I think we're just starting to see the residue of of just how taxed this pitching staff is right now. Yeah, and I'm okay with Romano getting a couple of days off. The thing that was confusing for me was wasn't he warming up yesterday, like expecting to go in? Like that's where it was confusing for me. Like if you don't want to play a guy, fine, but then why was he even warming up? If you're going to warm well, that's him up, an excellent point. Then, because, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. if you're going to warm him up late, uh, and that's a very fair point. If you're going to warm him up late, you know, there's there's a lot of um, sort of science and study around how teams have looked at this in, in recent years, where they will chart who gets up, how often in the bullpen, in addition to even how many times they're they're in the game. So it's not just necessarily appearances. It's how many times did they get up and warm up and how many times did they start throwing hard and getting hot, ready to get in. And that, that almost counts as an appearance as well uh, in terms of how internally teams will track their pitcher usage. Just even warming up is, is work. And so uh, to that point, Romano warming up and then not being used to me, doesn't doesn't really make a ton of sense from my perspective because you were probably already trying to be careful with him, and and you had him warm up after having thrown back to back days uh, a couple of days prior. To me, if he's warming up, he should probably be in the game. With John Palmarosi on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. My issue with going to Bergen is multiple fold, and you know it's funny if if you question Charlie Montoyo, there are some people who hear that and say, well, then you just hate Montoyo. No, I, I very rarely question Charlie Montoyo. And then there's the other people who say you never question him enough, and they just take what happened yesterday as further proof that he's not up to the job. And I, I don't. I, I think there's a, a shade of gray here that, that goes completely ignored. I'm isolating on yesterday. The issue I have with going to Bergen, John, is that a, it shouldn't have happened. I I let Chatwood either get it done or rot. And and if Chatwood walks home the tying run, I'm sticking with Chatwood if I'm not going to Romano for whatever reason. If he gives up the go-ahead run, then I make the change. With Bergen, the added issue is that you have the three-batter minimum rule. So if you bring right. Bergen in and he doesn't get Meadows and he didn't, you're then in a tie game, 
and he's got to try and get Margot. And if he doesn't get Margot, you're trailing. And he's got to try to get Brasso, who is a lefty hitting specialist. So if you don't get Meadows, you're hooped. He didn't get Meadows. Correct. The Jays were hooped. This this isn't like 2019 or before, where if you think you want Bergen for the lefty-on-lefty matchup, if it doesn't work out, you can go and get an A.J. Cole or you can warm somebody else up and go righty-on-righty with Margot. You can't do the one-and-done. Right. You can't do the loogie thing, the lefty specialist. So I, I think Charlie hooped himself yesterday. I know he's in a tough spot, but and it's very rare that I come on the radio and I, I question Montoyo. I think he hooped himself yesterday. Well, the, the one thing I would say, and those are all fair points, Scott. The, the one point I would make is that when you look at the, the way the inning played out, of course, at that point, there are already two outs. And so you, when you look at it, if, if he gets Meadows, then the inning is over and you can, and, and you're obviously, and the game is over at that point, and then you're all set. Basically, you're playing for that one at bat. And you're basically saying, if we don't get him there, we're we're in trouble. <laughs> so you're basically playing and saying at this point in time you still have a four three lead, and and the whole game comes down to that at bat. And and the question you're asking yourself is who is my best chance to get Meadows right there? Is it Bergen coming in fresh or is it Chatwood? I would and, so and I, I would argue point, it's still Chatwood. And and that's a very fair point because because Chatwood is already in the game. He uh, he actually had already gotten two outs to that point in time. He had at that moment only walked one batter, so or two two batters actually at that, that inning. So he had walked two guys. So it's I, I can certainly see where you're where you're saying it's it's a tough thing to ask um, to ask Bergen to do to come in fresh with the bases loaded, zero margin for error, and you better get Meadows. And if you don't, then the game's the game's effectively over because you're you're not confident he's gonna be able to get the next two guys either. It's it's a really it's a really good point, and I think that it's just the reality of this team is that when you have tired relievers, uh, as Chatwood has obviously had a heavy workload this season, when you start walking guys, it it, it leaves the manager with a plethora of unappealing options. And and uh, Charlie, I think, chose ultimately. Not a great option last night, but I'm not sure that he really had any great ones uh, to choose from. Well, and the other angle is that the offense isn't scoring enough runs. But my response to that is that there are going to be periods of time over the course of a season when your offense isn't getting you five, six, seven runs a night. And the bottom line is this, John. They They had a lead late against Boston on Thursday. They had a lead, obviously, late yesterday. They had a blown lead, I think, in the seventh inning of the first game against Philadelphia a week ago Friday night. A massive lead a week ago yesterday, Sunday afternoon, against the Phillies turned into a nail-biter at the end. Like, And, and that was a day when the offense scored a lot of runs. But my, my point is, is that if you have late leads... The offensive discussion, okay, yeah, it'd be great if they were leading eight to two every single night, but that's just not the reality of it. The offense has dipped a little bit. That's going to happen. It will bounce back. They'll start scoring a lot of runs again, ebbs and flows of a season. You need your pitching to lock it down when you have late leads, and it's not happening because these guys are exhausted. Exactly right, and uh, that's very well stated. You You look at this five game losing streak, two of the five games, they scored seven runs. 
and uh, another one they scored four yesterday. And, and to your point, those those are days where, especially when you score seven, you should win. And there are a great many games when when you score four and you should win. And you look at this five game losing streak and. Only one of the five games was the losing pitcher, the starter. So four of the games were lost by the bullpen. That's and there's your story right now. It's they're they're a good team. They really are. They're a good team that will get better, of course, once Springer is 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 there and, and part of the part of the part of the mix on a, on a daily basis, and, and they're getting production from George. They're gonna they're gonna be a good offensive club. But I just think what we're seeing the issues of the pitching staff manifesting themselves, and I just don't know how you fix problems this significant in the middle of the season, uh, unless you're unless you're willing to make some desperate trades. And I just I don't think that's the mo of this team. You look around this division too, guys, and, and you pointed this out too, Scott. You've got three really quality teams ahead of you right now, and and Tampa's playing great. Boston has had much more staying power than I thought they were going to. The Yankees just swept the White Sox. I mean, this is almost back to the heyday of this division, where it's it's going to be hard to make progress moving upward, and and the Jays very quickly have arrived at a pretty urgent moment of their season. Right, man. I I still think Alec Manoa needs time in the minor leagues. I would not rush him. I think Thomas Hatch is going to be up by no later than this weekend, and then that's always an interesting thing too. He had a cup of coffee last year, John. He's the guy they got from the Cubs in the David Phelps trade back in, what was it, 2018-2019 when the Cubs acquired right. Phelps for the stretch drive to to add to their bullpen. Well, I mean, I think they think they have something with Thomas Hatch, but I also think it's a lot to dump in his lap. Hey, you've been hurt all year. Could you come in, kid? Experience level-wise as a kid right. and be a solution? Like, it's... It's, 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 well, it's a tough and, ask. And, Scott, I mean, you're right. And the other thing, the, the I think the overriding name that we haven't mentioned a lot here today is Pearson. And this is this is where his inability to stay healthy and get deep into games is showing up in a big way. We talked about a righty with stuff that they really need in the rotation. That was supposed to be Pearson. That's supposed to be him. And he's not he's not there right now. And, and it's not his fault. I'm just – Saying that that's he that is a position and a role that has his name written on it, and he has not been able to to claim it. Uh, he, he wasn't able to throw strikes. He's been hurt. Any number of issues there. That is a massive problem for this organization. This, this, things would be a lot different now if if he was pitching the way that a lot of us hoped and expected he could. Thank you for this, pal. We'll do it again next Monday on Memorial Day, an American Day. Thank so you. Look forward to yes, it. Yes, and uh, enjoy enjoy a great a doubleheader of hockey tonight. I'm telling you what, man, the Jets are going to be a tough out this year. They look pretty good. Morrissey's a really oh, good yeah. defenseman. I always love watching him play. It's going to be save, a lot of fun. Save it for your hits in Winnipeg. Save the compliments <laughs> for the we'll Jets for your hits in Winnipeg. <laughs> All right? Just keep that Thanks, in mind. guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and Sirius XM MLB Radio, our baseball insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Christopher Stieg, Stephen Brunt, all ahead. Rick Five, former Maple Leafs captain, in just a moment. We're back teeing up game three of the Leafs and Habs tonight. But first, uh, Rick Five, former Leafs captain, in just a couple of minutes. Do we have thumbs up, thumbs down on Rick Five? He is there. Mr. Vive, up bright and early. How are you, sir? 
I'm good. I'm good. How are you? We're doing Scotty? we're doing well. We're doing well. And I gotta be honest, Rick. I'm feeling uncomfortable with how overconfident I am about this Leafs team. I, I think they I think something clicked on Saturday night in the aftermath of Tavares and the tough game one loss. Montreal I think they've got to be overly physical with the Leafs. They took too many penalties and the power play woke up. I ain't saying the Leafs are going to steamroll the Habs the rest of the way because that would be a ridiculous statement, something I can't I can't say with certainty. But I'm feeling pretty good about where the Leafs are at. Where are you with this uh, series so far? Well, I feel pretty good as well, Scotty. I mean, especially if they continue to play like they did in game two. I mean... They played a lot more physical. They they played with a lot more urgency and and you know the, the overall physicality in game two was much much better than it was in game one. And like you said, the power play woke up and they were two for six. They, it was a two one hockey game, and then they score on two power plays in a row to make it a, a four one hockey game. And I mean that that was the difference. And then I think the biggest thing is that people overlook and, and don't think of a lot is that they were 44% in the face-off dot in game one. They were 66% in game two. So they're getting the puck and they're, and they're getting possession of it a lot more. Yeah. I Hey, face-offs are, they're important when you, a lot of people say, well, face-offs, what do they really matter? I think I say they're, they matter when you lose or win that big draw on your own end, you know, to get a clear puck or that big goal at the end of the game. And, a lot of times you can control possession. I think against Montreal, uh, that is great. It's a great point. For me, though, for this Leafs team, it was just a, a game about stepping up, right? I know it's the cliche thing, but you have a guy, your captain, go down, John Tavares. How how difficult do you think the Leafs are in it now, um, You know, trying to fill that spot with Foligno or having Engvall come into the game? Is... Uh, is something like that possible where you see them going on a run, even if they lose one of the big four? Yeah, that's a tough one, uh, Ziggy. I don't know, man. It's like, yeah. I, I don't know if you can replace John. I mean, you can maybe get someone to fill in, obviously, and, and do okay. But uh, the bottom line is, is uh, you know, he's a, he's a player that you don't want to lose because he's kind of a heart and soul type guy, works his tail off. Um, but you know what? I mean, you know, you're looking at, we're in the playoffs now, and, I mean, it's not all about speed and skill. I mean, you've got to grind it out, and you got to block shots. I mean, you look at the, you know, they only gave up 23 shots in that second game. Uh, they were out hit 55-27 in the first game, but only 44-36 in the second game. So, I mean, a lot of the things that they did in game two, if they can repeat those, then I feel pretty good about them you know, I predicted they were going to win in five, and, you know, I still think that's a possibility if they continue to play with that uh, physicality and urgency that they did in game two. And there's a lot of talk around before the season started. Is Anderson going to get in the game, and they have the back-to-back today and tomorrow? Um, I, I think Campbell's been excellent. I, I don't see a situation where Anderson – comes in tomorrow at all. Do you, what do you think about the back-to-back games in the playoffs and, and at this point with Campbell and, and possibly Anderson getting a game in? Uh, I'm not liking his chances. <laughs> 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 this guy is doing a pretty yeah. darn good job. And, 
I mean, if you're the coach, I mean, why would you change, you know, what's working? And, you know, Campbell has played well, even in game one. I don't think he could have fouled him on either one of those two goals that the that he let in in game one. But, uh, I mean, no, go with the hot hand. And uh, right now he's, he's the better uh, option, I think. Rick Five with us on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I, th- I thought Josh Anderson was the best player on the ice in game one. And I thought Austin Matthews was the best player on the ice in, in game two. I mean, Rick, you're one of the, the most natural goal scorers the Maple Leafs have, have ever had. Austin is on a level, uh, the likes of which most of us haven't seen. Do you continue to be awed by him? Uh, what have you seen him add to his game over the last year or so? Because it, it certainly seems like he's, he's taken the next step. Well, I think he's he's realized what he needs to do in order to be successful uh, on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at his his physical game has ramped up big time. I mean, here, here's a guy that's, what, 6'3", 225, 230 pounds. you got to use that size. And, and in, especially in game two, he was very, very physical. And, you know, I love to see that because that's kind of how the game was played in the 80s. And uh, not so much today. And uh, but you know he's been stepping up his physical part of his game, and you know better on the faceoffs and and the rest of his game. You don't even have to worry about because he's an amazing hockey player and can score goals like crazy. Uh, Rasmus Sandin with a big power play goal. Kind of it looks like he's energized that unit. Uh, Nylander with a power play goal. What did you think about Rasmus Sandy in that first game to second and how difficult it is for a team to stick with a young defenseman when when you see something like that happen? You know, he's on for uh, the Anderson first goal and, and gets beat to a puck from by Byron. And then all of a sudden, the coaching staff, the, the team doesn't really give up on a guy and they throw him right back out there. You know, don't cut his minutes, nothing. is the, What does that say about... Keith and his staff and Sandine as a player. Well, I I'll be honest with you. I, I thought he, they, they should have taken him out of game two and they should have maybe played Hutton or, or Dermot. But, you know, I guess uh, at some point you got to learn what it takes to, to win in the playoffs. And I thought he did that pretty decently in game two, whereas in game one, I, I think he was a liability more than anything else, but I'm not behind the bench and I'm not making those decisions uh, you know, good on, on uh, Sheldon to, you know, keep him in there and give him another opportunity. And he came up big for them. So he can't argue with his, his decision. Rick Five is our guest on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. If you're the Edmonton Oilers, what are you telling yourself heading into game four tonight? Back-to-back situation and they leaf themselves. Um, 4-1 third period lead. Blow it, lose in overtime last night in game three. They're right up against it in Winnipeg. They got to win out here. This is, this is not the way the Oilers envisioned their playoff run going. Well, I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't uh, Scotty, but you know what? <laughs> I, 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 it's amazing. Cause I mean, the first word that they should be saying is for, because they're going to be on the golf course very, very soon. If they don't change this thing around, but I, the only team I saw maybe possibly beating the Leafs, for instance, or you know, could win the Canadian division, was Winnipeg. 
I mean, if you look at their lineup, they match up very well with top six. They're, they're D, uh, they're, they're bottom six. They match up with the Leafs, you know, pretty darn good. And then you got Hellebuck in goal, who's probably been the best goalie probably this season, uh, perhaps in the National Hockey League. So uh, Edmonton, you know, I don't know, just get ready to book your tee times, I, I, I would imagine. Four? I like that. <laughs> That's good. That's when good. Are we, when, when, when are we playing golf, Ricky, now? When are we going to when are we get in? You're out? allowed to now, Rick. We're allowed. I know. I, I, I saw that on Thursday, and I was like, you know, oh, my goodness. How good is that going to be? And then, you know, went right out, played Saturday, Sunday. Today's an off day. Uh, and then tomorrow, uh, actually, I have to go to Toronto. They're doing a, uh, a documentary on my old boss, Harold Ballard. So uh, that ought to be very interesting. <laughs> I'll say so. Yeah, we'll be looking forward. We'll be looking forward to seeing that. Oh my God! Uh, we'll 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 uh, we'll try and get some intel out of you in the in the weeks ahead on the Harold Ballard doc. That that will be fascinating. That that was a thirty for thirty waiting to happen. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a guy that just I mean couldn't stay out of the way. I guess yeah. would probably be the best his own way too, and everybody else's. But. Uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I got to go in and do an interview for it. And, uh, I'm not sure who else is, is going to be talking, but uh, I'm sure there'll be quite a few ex-players from the Maple Leafs that will have a say in, in this document. I just, just inject Keon, Sittler, Lanny, and Vive with true serum. And, and and let him go. I'd love it. I'd love it. I'd watch that all day. Uh, listen, pal, uh, be good. Enjoy the off day. I mean, I love it. You're pacing yourself back to back Saturday, Sunday. Take the Monday off. Right back at it on a Tuesday. You know, you know the deal. We'll call you next week and, and get you back on. As uh, hopefully the Leafs uh, have put the Habs away by that point. Yeah, we certainly hope so. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to be uh, extremely easy. Montreal is a better team than I think people give them a lot of credit for. And uh, but I still see that see the Leafs winning in five. So have a great day, guys. You bet. Rick Vive, a former Leafs captain, three-time 50-goal scorer. Stephen Brunt is waiting on the line. We'll get back into the Leafs and Habs. Game three tonight on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and on the CBC. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop. We'll get into the Blue Jays situation. Has the bullpen finally reached its breaking point with injuries and fatigue? Uh, the lack of a five-man starting rotation finally catching up to this group. We'll ask Stephen that question. And then Christopher Stieg later on in the 8 o'clock hour. But first, the Leafs coming off the 5-1 Game 2 win on Saturday night in Toronto into Montreal for Game 3. First of a back-to-back with the Habs. Game 4 will be tomorrow night. 7 o'clock tonight on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and on CBC. The Edmonton Oilers blow a 4-1 third-period lead. Where have you heard that before? So- sorry, the facial tick just kicked in. <laughs> And they lose 5-4 in overtime to Winnipeg. The Jets with a three-games-to-none series lead will look to wrap things up on home ice tonight. Oilers and Jets play in the back end of the back-to-back tonight, Game 4. We got a, a series, Nashville and Carolina. Nashville needing extra time, double overtime again. Uh, but they get it done, a 4-3 win to tie that series at two games apiece. Colorado completes the sweep of St. Louis, a 5-2 win over the Blues. And the Bruins take out... The Washington Capitals in five games, a 3-1 win in Washington yesterday. The Blue Jays have lost five in a row, while at the same time, 
The Tampa Bay Rays win their 10th in a row by defeating the Blue Jays and come from behind fashion. Disastrous ninth inning yesterday. 6-4, to four, the final score. Uh, the Yankees with another win. They have won six in a row. And so the Blue Jays right now with Boston, Tampa Bay, and the Yankees at the top of the division are four and a half games back of both the AL East lead and a wild card spot at this moment. And Stephen Brunn is along to talk about uh, all of these topics and so much more. Uh, happy uh, 2-4, happy Vic Day, sir. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? We're, uh, we're doing well. Uh, we're excited about what we saw from the uh, Maple Leafs on Saturday night. And Stephen, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think we understand that Montreal's way of beating the Leafs is to A, rely on Carey Price, and B, to out-physical, for lack of a better way to put it, the Maple Leafs. But when you walk that line, if you start to take penalties and the Maple Leafs' power play wakes up, uh, that's trouble. And, and I think the Leafs played on Saturday night and, and saw the results on Saturday night uh, the way that they're going to have to play the rest of this series. If they play like that, they're going to get this thing done. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well, Scotty. Like, they, like you know, one of the you know the mysteries in the second half of the season was just that the Leafs' power play wasn't more efficient than it. You know, you just looked at the talent and said, "How how come? You know, this doesn't make any sense with the guys you can roll out there. How come this power play is not absolutely deadly?" And uh, yeah, if that that was one of the things I think we talked about that had to click heading into the playoffs was they've you know the the power play's got to produce when given the opportunity and then you know the other things uh you know goaltending and and if everything else fell into place they should be that they're the best team in the division they should win so you're right about you know that's what Montreal has is carry price and Montreal can play a, a physical tough kind of game but they don't match up skill-wise with the Leafs nobody again nobody in this division does you know player for player and uh you know if if you know if they can even be moderately efficient on the on the power play and they should be better than that with the frontline talent that they have um they should win the series you know barring again barring a barring a goaltending collapse you know I hate to say it but that's the only that's the you know that is the only potential Achilles heel and I don't think that's going to be an issue in this series to be honest um and the next round's going to be interesting, but you know, I like this. This team should come out of the division. They, they, they should. They should win the Scotiabank North. They are the best team. They've been the best team all year, and I, you know, obviously Tavares going down hurts them, but they should be able to win this division without him. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that, and and Felino slotted on that second line, uh, yeah. Kerfoot on the third. What? Uh, would you what, like? What do you think of them up the middle now? I, I know Montreal's not a gr- is probably the worst team in the North to compare them against because I think they're the thinnest, if not the North, but the whole league. But just up the middle for for the Leafs, it's it's still pr- pretty good. And you also have Thornton who can play the middle. Nylander's played the middle at times, um, but you need you, you need a you, you need a strong you know one two up the middle to make any kind of damage in the playoffs. And I'm just wondering how you think that's all going to sort itself out here tomorrow. We don't, I, I can't see him coming back in the playoffs. <sighs> yeah. It's well, yeah. Concussions are hard to read. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Like, yes, I, I agree with you, you know, uh, and obviously <laughs> he's got a knee injury too. Um, two weeks from now, like, you know, c- could he reemerge for the third round? If, if, you know, assuming they get there, I guess it's possible, but um, 
I, I nobody. You, you, you know, you can't. There, there's no timeline with concussions, so you you have mm-hmm. really have, we really have you know we're absolutely flying blind here. So and, and so are the Leafs, by the way. So are their medical staff. Like mm-hmm. it's not like you can make them better, right? They they heal when they heal. So uh, yeah, I, I again, I think they got enough to get through this division. After that. We have a different discussion, I believe, you know, mm-hmm. based on kind of what we're watching in the other in the other series, in the other divisions and some of the different kinds of like, the, I guess the thing is, the, you know, exactly what the challenge is. These first two rounds, you know, uh, again, mm-hmm. and it's sure you know, it looks like Winnipeg next round with Montreal this round. We've seen so much of these teams this year that, you know, there's no surprise element and you know how, you know, you know how they win, um, you know, how they can succeed. And, you know, the Leafs won the vast majority of games against those two teams the entire year. So I know how playoff hockey is a little bit different, but, you know, they they should win. They should win these first two rounds. They they should win these first two rounds, barring something, uh, you know, and again, they've had something cataclysmic happen to them. They just lost their captain, but, you know, it's an area of depth and an area of strength. With Stephen Brunn on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and we have no idea who they would play if they get to the third round because... At that point, there will be reseeding. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Boston is going to get the winner of a Pittsburgh Islanders series that's at least going six, that has been extremely physical, and the Bruins are going to be rested. Ziggy and I were talking about this earlier on in the show. Not only did Boston win in five, like they didn't have a forward play 20 minutes last night. This is the true definition of a, of a four-line team. And isn't it amazing, Stephen? It, it feels like there's one of these teams in each sport every year. The team that you're ready to write off as being past its prime, being too old. The Bruins have been in that conversation for at least three or four seasons now. And then you look up, it's the most crucial time of year, and they're right in the middle of all of it. Yep. I, I thought Washington was going to win that series going in. I, I, you know, I did maybe, and look, Washington's long in the tooth in places as well, obviously, but I just kind of, yeah, I, for all, all of the things you said, that's, you know, where we are gradually finally kind of turning the page on that Bruins team that has been so good and so consistently good. But, you know, I don't, and it was, again, it was a short series, but it was a close short series. There's a lot of overtime hockey played there, but the Bruins look like a nightmare, a playoff nightmare, like to play just, they, they look like a, you know, I, you want to play them right now? Um, it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to take a very good team to beat them. Um, and there are some, you know, there's some very good teams out there and I'm not saying that they would match up against the, how they would match up against a team like Colorado, uh, who just look like the class of the field right now. But, you know, for kind of all of the things that kind of go into playoff hockey and make playoff hockey different than regular season hockey, the Bruins do all of those really well. They're, they're, yeah, you said they're deep, they're balanced, they're getting good goaltending, they're tough. They've got guys who've done it before. Um, you know, like that's a cliche Rama, I know, but boy, I, I it's not it's not gonna be who whichever of the Islanders or Pittsburgh comes out of that series is you know, is gonna be facing a team that is, you know, I say built for this time of year and uh, is gonna be rested and uh, like I'm not saying that you know the Islanders or Pittsburgh couldn't knock them off because they could. But yeah, every everything about Boston looks like a Toronto Maple Leaf fans nightmare. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. With Stephen Brunn on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I feel like all the Connor McDavid out of Edmonton talk is just solely based in the fact that the weather sucks and 
there's like five hours of daylight in January in Edmonton. Like if if you're not going to win, then then why would you want to play there? This notion of free McDavid and all that. Um, look, I, he's the best player in the world. Nobody disputes it. Leon Dreisaitl is w- one of the best players in the NHL. And then after that, mm-hmm. there's Darnell Nurse. There's Oscar Clefbaum if he gets back and he's healthy next year and and able to play at the level he was playing at before he got hurt. They got questions in goal going forward because Mike Smith is their best and he's 39 going on 40. Like Stephen, if I'm if I'm the Edmonton Oilers, this this appears to be all of a sudden and in a somewhat shocking way another wasted season of the best player in the world's young career. Yep. Yep, that's it. You know, Mike Trout right that's that's what it is right it's best player in the world not well he's in the playoffs but appears to be about to make a quick exit it's an indictment of the organization and that's not just the guys who are in place right now because they haven't been there that long but it's an indictment of the organization that having been gifted the greatest player in the world and one of the greatest players in history that they have not been able to build a supporting cast around them to go anywhere you know it's it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Well, like, take again, it, but take of, it a step further. Taylor yeah. Hall, yeah, Nail Yakupov, Ryan yeah. Nugent Hopkins. I'm somewhat out of order there. I think Hall came mm-hmm. first, and then the Nuge, and then and yeah. then and then Yakupov. Ten, eleven, twelve draft years. Like it's it, it's not like it started with Connor McDavid first overall picks. You're supposed to turn those guys are supposed to be your foundation. They only mm-hmm. have two of them left, maybe one after this year, depending on how they value RNH or whether he goes somewhere else as a UFA. They've screwed this all up. They've screwed they have, it all up. Well, let's again, let's let's you know what, take your list of the greatest players, the greatest individual players you have ever seen, you know, in your lifetime. You know that the the absolute creme de la creme, right? So, Gretzky and Mario, and you know this this guy's on that list right he's 100% on that list i don't know where you want to put him and it, it depends on how far back you want to go but you know have we in the entire history of hockey seen a situation where the best player in the world didn't win a championship like again like i know we're not, not they're not close to winning a championship they're they're close to being swept in the first round but they all eventually win right they they all won now, you know, now Gretzky couldn't deliver in L.A. late in his career, but he got close. But all of those guys, well, again, again, I'm not saying they did it alone. They obviously had great supporting casts, some better supporting casts than others. Sid, you know, like, like let's, you know, look at what, what happened with Sid. Not, you know, um, and again, not with the greatest supporting cast at, at times. You know, what's, Connor McDavid right now is an anomaly, right? He is, we, we have never seen this in the entire history of the sport. There's never been a time where the best player in the game, bar none, like you know, like there are other guys, you know, Nathan McKinnon's pushing, you know, Austin Austin Matthews is in the conversation, but there's only one number one right now. He's the best player in hockey, and you know, really hasn't had a sniff. Uh, you know, like they've been playing hockey for a long time. You know, the fact that, that that tells you how you know again extraordinary this situation is in Edmonton, extraordinary in the bad sense. Yeah, I and I, I was trying to tell Scotty this earlier. Like, uh, I was making the point where what other greatest player of all time and of whatever era they're playing in hasn't won or has gone through something that McDavid's going through, and I I couldn't come up with a name in hockey. 
Like who? Nope. And who I else? also don't know, like Stephen and Ziggy. We like I I don't know what more McDavid can do. I know it was a terrible giveaway on the game tying goal. Yeah, he contributed goal to that. But 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 hockey isn't basketball where you're one of five guys on the floor and you can dominate a game. It isn't LeBron. LeBron like LeBron could right. take control of a series and take you to the finals. You know, yeah. or you could be an inferior yeah. team playing a deciding game, and if you've got Garrett Cole on the mound, then Garrett Cole could be the difference, right? Sort of yep. thing. Yep. Like, I don't know what more McDavid can do. Nope. It's not on him. Like, again, you're right. Like, there's, you know, one glaring mistake in the last game, but, you know, that's there's a lot of water under the bridge that's not that game, and... I, I don't know. I don't know what else. I, I don't. He's not. I'm not going to sit back and say, well, actually, he's a flawed hockey player. I don't see the flaws. I got news for you. <laughs> I don't see any flaws. I think he's, a you know, again, he may wind up being the greatest player we've ever seen. Period. You know, um, you know, and then we'll all have to do the discussion about can you be the greatest player in history if you didn't have team success? You know, and, and it's but, you know, he's only he only plays so many shifts. And, uh, you know, he only can do so much. And, and, but the, the inability, you know, to um, construct something around him, you know, to build something around him. And again, I, it's not like, you know, everybody, not, you know, it's not, it's not like this is Homer Simpson trying to build a car, right? Like, there's, in theory, these are people who, you know, know a lot about hockey. There's a succession of people who have had the opportunity. And had the and I said had great luck with those draft picks, the unbelievable string of luck getting all those those first overalls, you know. And to fail in this situation, you know, I, I, if 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 we roll back the clock, and I said, here's what's going to happen: this one team is going to luck into this many first overalls, including a guy who is a pure generational talent, and are not going to win a thing. You know, you would have you would have taken the other side of that bet, wouldn't you? Absolutely, and and I think. Ken Ken Holland's only been there a couple of years. Real good hockey guy. Lots of success mm-hmm. in Detroit. He's got some cap cleanup to do, and that was going to take a couple of years just because of the situation he inherited. But also at some point, he's been there long enough where you got to see some results. And maybe they're encouraged in part, Stephen, by the regular season they had. And maybe we're having a totally different conversation if they just straight up win the game last night like they were so clearly going to do for two and a half periods. But man, I mean, that's the type of collapse that—that's—I mean, it changes the series. They probably go out tonight. They go out at some point, if not tonight, and and it changes the way that you view your organization. Yeah, it does. Although, you know, it's, I was just thinking as you said that, Scotty. How are we going to evaluate the season? As you say, encouraged by the season they just had. What, how do you? How do we evaluate that? the season they just had given the weird you know bizarro circumstances of the season just passed the mm. regular season right like i limited opponents 39 year old no goalie idea. all of it yeah yeah like and i'll you know and, and i think we're only going to be able to understand the relative strength or weakness of the divisions when we get to the third round and you know if whoever comes out of this division gets smoked in the third round how are we going to look back on that season yeah you know, we're going to say yeah. you know you best you, know, you were the best of the worst like i i again i'm not saying that's going to happen and i think but I do think the only team you know that can come out of this division and go beyond are the Leafs. I you know I thought that go. I just I don't think anybody else there has a chance. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting point you bring up, Stephen, because I decided, uh, which doesn't make me right, and oftentimes I'm not, but I, I decided that regardless of what happened between the Leafs and the Habs, like we saw enough out of the 
the so-called core four, but especially Matthews and Marner this year, that regardless, regardless of what happened against Montreal or anybody else, I think I think you run it back with that group. Yep. And you fill in around the edges as as Kyle Dubas did this year with some different guys. He obviously made a couple of acquisitions at the trade deadline. But, you know, we were talking, and I think quite legitimately, back before this shortened season started, that if it went sideways this year, you'd really have to look at not everything, but almost everything. I just don't think you can quibble with a 35 win in 56 game regular season. I think you got to give this group another 82, regardless of what happens. But in Edmonton, outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl, I, th- I think everything and anything is up for grabs. Well, that's, yeah, I do too. Now, I, what up for, I, and again, I'm not sure what up for grabs is going to mean as we head into this flat cap era, right? right. It's going to be, t- you know, and an expansion era. Um, like, it's going to be a really interesting few months in hockey um, as teams confront the economic reality they're facing. Um, and, uh, you know, and we and they stock an expansion team. So I, like, I, I'm not sure what the bold moves are in those circumstances. It's, uh, it, it's not so simple, right? You can't just say blow it up and start it all over again. I'm not sure you can do that. Uh, you know, like, I, I just, I'm not sure how. I'm not sure where you would start. Um, but that's, you know, that's Kenny, and, you know, again, if things proceed the way they are with Edmonton, that's Ken Holland's, that's the task ahead of him right now. You know, you, you have the best player in the game and one of the top five and best of luck. Yeah. Best of luck. With Stephen Brunn on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. So we knew what the Blue Jays had from a starting pitching perspective going into the season. And I think that we we knew that with 40%, two-fifths of the rotation essentially unaddressed, that there would be an expiry date in season and probably around now to that approach and the domino effect is playing out Stephen there are injuries in this bullpen there is exhaustion among others who previously have been injured in this bullpen and there are lower leverage guys being forced into higher leverage situations and the results are sadly what you'd expect this team is is teetering with its pitching staff right now the question is how do they address it at its root, which for me is figuring out the entirety of the starting rotation? Yeah, well, that's that's the kind of the way you have to do it. Like, I, again, I think the flip side of that is the first three guys have settled in and have been consistent, which, you know, like, let's not forget that. They've been getting quality starts from those three guys very consistently. So that, um, and that was something heading into the season. If you'd said, you know, that, that Ray and Matt's were going to do what they've done so far, everybody would have been happy. Um, you know, Robbie Ray, who doesn't walk anybody anymore, and Matt's, who, you know, goes through rough waters every once in a while, but, you know, hasn't shown the kind of tendency to implode that he had with the Mets. So, the, you know, the first three are pretty good. And, you know, you look around baseball right now, especially with all the injuries, there's not many staffs where you can say your first three guys are like clockwork giving you quality starts. Um, yeah, I think there's been fraying around the edges, obviously. Although that said, you know, that game, the last two couple of games, you know, get, like yesterday, you know, Tyler Chatwood's been 
as consistent as anybody, and he has not been overworked. You know, they've he's he's been an inning at a time, or sometimes just an out at a time. And you know, Charlie put had his best guy and his most consistent guy in a situation to protect a two run lead in the ninth. And I didn't think Chat would look tired. I thought he looked nervous, which is a weird thing to say. But you know, he seemed to be, have sped everything up, and you know. He, I thought he struggled in that situation, and then you know, obviously with Bergen coming in, you cannot, you know, to use a great baseball cliche, you know, there's no defense against their base on balls, like that's just inexcusable. I like I, I, I can't imagine what it feels like sitting in a dugout watching a guy walk in runs, or just or well, you know, just it's just it's the worst, right? Like it's nothing you can. Yeah, do. but here's the thing, Stephen, and and look, I I very rarely question Charlie. I I would rather die with Chatwood until he blows the save than go to a kid and and th- I think there are two separate conversations. There's a 2019 and prior conversation and there's a 2020 and beyond conversation. If he doesn't get if Bergen doesn't get Meadows, you're skewered by the three batter minimum rule. Yeah, right? you are. You're right. And yeah. and so for me if he doesn't get Meadows, it's a spiral because he's not experienced and, and, and the game speeds up. It's an interesting take you have on Chatwood, but I also I think they hoop themselves with Bergen. I'd rather yeah, die might, with Chatwood. It's a good no, it's a good point. You might and you might well have died with if Chatwood. If Romano's but, not available, apparently. And I'm and yeah, and I'm assuming he wasn't available. Um because, you know, again, but if you saw the which was the game before the guy, I forget which of these losses, but there, you know, there was another the game that Delise melted down. You know, it, it Charlie. It went according to script. That was right? Thursday. It was, yeah, yeah, it yeah, did. Chat, yeah. chat, chat with Romano Delise. Delise had been the guy they were most calm with closing games, and he's in some ways the most experienced guy closing games because of his time in Japan. And you know, he coughs it up after the other two guys do their job. So you flip flop it. You bring Delise in earlier in this game. Delise looks like he's got his act together. You don't have Romano, um, and you all know it's a good point about the three batter rule in Chatwood. Because, but they must have again. It'd be I'd like a penny for the conversation between Charlie and Pete Walker as Chatwood was loading it up, mm-hmm. saying, "What do we do?" Um, right, and and one of the outs was the hardest hit ball of the inning that Vladdy made a Gold Glove play on. Right, so it's not exactly. like the contact yeah. was soft either. Yeah, so Chatwood didn't like he you know he wasn't fooling anybody. He, I say he didn't look, you know, like it's we haven't. There were there were a lot of times this season when, you know, when Romano is at his best and the ball's coming out of his hand, right, and he's clearly comfortable out there. When Delise is in that slow motion groove of his, you know, and you you can you know it, it drives everybody crazy. But you want to you know there's this you know you can tell that he's comfortable and in control in the situation. We haven't seen that lately, right? Uh, you know, Romano has been erratic. I think depending on how he feels, and if he doesn't feel right, it all goes pear shaped with him. Um, we've you know we've seen that happen. You see him kind of melt down out there. You know, Delise obviously again had that struggle in that inning. Although that was an inning where you know a couple of plays could have turned that inning. It was close. Um, the uh, the most surprising of those to me was Chatwood yesterday, just because he's an experienced guy and you know he's been almost like a machine so far this season. And I uh, yeah I, I I honestly felt and again I I can't read a guy's mind. But, you know, here he is. Suddenly he's the last guy up, right? It's here you go. You know, you've been great. The ball's yours. We've, we're, we're trying to end a losing streak, facing a really good team that has really good at-bats. But, you know, it's, here you go. And, and he couldn't do it. You know, he just he dug himself, dug himself in that hole. And, yeah, maybe it's unfair to, you know, go at Bergen at the end. But 
I, I as I say, I, there's nothing more frustrating, mm. nothing more frustrating than watching a guy not throw. I like if they, you know, if they crush your best stuff, that's that happens. But just you know, the inability to throw that to throw a strike in that situation is just painful, painful. To, and I think it's kind of a gutting one, you know. I think for a team, like imagine what it's like playing behind that guy. Like I, any of us, anybody who played in little league back in the day, when you know there was some kid on the round who couldn't throw a strike, and just walking and walk, you, know, you, you kind of have to go to sleep out there, right? Yeah. Um, it's got to be a terrible feeling for everybody. And how you know how do you hand the guy the ball the next time? Like where do you hand the guy the ball the next time? So, so yeah, I you know to get back to where we started, yeah, they need a fourth and a fifth starter. They need to figure that out. Um, the only solutions are going to be internal for about what, the next six weeks mm-hmm. until the trade market heats up. No one's going to trade pitching uh, pitching until things heat up towards the deadline because everybody needs pitching. And, you know, you're trying to max out your asset if you're the, if you're the seller. So there's no point in trading a pitcher in May unless somebody offers you their entire minor league system. So it's got to be internal, right? So I'm going to say the same thing everybody else does. You know, do you give Manoa a look? Um or do That's you beg Thomas order. Hatch to, hey, pal, limited experience, you've been hurt all year, come up and help us and hope for the best. Yeah, I think with him you got to be careful, though, just because he was hurt and because you are building him back up. And whereas Manoa stretched out, mm-hmm. you know, Manoa's throwing almost 100 pitches. And look, this is, this is an organizational decision. Like, this is not a Charlie decision. Um, it's not a Pete Walker decision alone. I don't, you know, I think even Ross Atkins would want to, kind of have a huddle and say because this is again Manoa's a guy who's a long-term asset how do you want to treat him you know what are you really seeing like we, we had Dan Schulman on our with Blair and I had him on last week and you know who watched that last Manoa start and he said you know he threw a lot of pitches he threw pitches that major league hitters are going to eat you know that you know he gave up some hard contact it wasn't you know the pitching line that we see is one thing but if you actually watched it yeah so you know, are you bringing a guy up who is immediately going to excel, or are you going to bring a guy up who's going to have a rude awakening against major league pitchers and maybe set him back a little bit? Um, I'm, I just, I guess, the point is right now, I'm not sure what the alternative is. We'll see how it plays out. Um, One o'clock this afternoon, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and on Sportsnet, the series finale with the Rays, and then three in New York, three in Cleveland. So it doesn't get easier. Uh, we'll break it all down next Monday, though. Thanks for this, Stephen. Enjoy the fishing. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, you are assuming correctly. <laughs> there See you, you guys. Stephen Brunt, uh, one of the co-hosts of Writer's Block uh, here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Christopher Stieg on the Leafs and Habs and where the Oilers go next, presuming they go out as early as tonight. This lead on with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Game over. Series over. The Bruins are on to the second round of the playoffs. Puck is dropped. Time winds down, and that will do it. The Colorado Avalanche complete the 4-0 sweep of the St. Louis Blues in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Here's the pass. Cut it! He scores! Yes, sir!
Leafs and Habs, game three tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan, and on CBC at 7 o'clock. And then late tonight on Sportsnet, the Oilers and Jets, just a little before 10 o'clock Eastern time for game number four. Winnipeg going for the sweep. If you're just waking up and you didn't stay with it last night, the Oilers past the halfway mark of the third period, had a 4-1 lead, blew it, and lost 5-4 in overtime. First time in NHL history that that has ever played out. A team with a 4-1 lead halfway through the third period has lost a playoff overtime game. It's never happened before. I can uh, go back in history and can confirm that. Uh, Christopher Stiga, the NHL on Sportsnet, two-time Stanley Cup champion, is uh, with us. In all seriousness, Chris, if you're the Edmonton Oilers waking up this morning, what the hell are you thinking? Oh, boy. Um, well, if I'm Dave Tippett waking up this morning, I'm wondering why I still have a timeout in my pocket. Uh, and Did I sleep last night if I'm Dave Tippett? No, you better not have slept last night. Uh, I, I, I couldn't understand it for the life of me. The Archibald penalty obviously set everything in motion. Uh, I don't know what he was doing there either, but uh, just just waking up today has got to be really hard. You've had two games. You likely could have and should have won. You didn't get the job done. Even like if I'm looking at other players like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you got to be waking up today wondering, like, how do I get my game to where it needs to be? Because he's such a crucial piece when those top two guys aren't going he needs to be the guy that elevates. Because if those two top two guys, I mean, I said it before the series, if those top two guys can't score every game, they're done. you got to hope Yamamoto and Ryan Nugent Hopkins come up, but Tippett doesn't give Yamamoto the ice time. And obviously, Nuge hasn't found his game yet. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys waking up today wondering a lot of things. But if I'm looking, I'm looking straight down at Dave Tippett for a lot of questions and, and needing answers. Yeah, and you want the timeout after, I'm guessing, the, well, at any time during the, th- the third, third period. But, the yeah, the the Blake Wheeler, yeah. And then, obviously, Morrissey comes back. I, I, Smith's been great in the series, but for me, the Morrissey goal can't go in. Um, I, I don't I didn't see it hit anything going to the net. It didn't get deflected. I didn't see much of a screen. And Smith's been great, but a, a couple of those goals, just uh, the rebounds, clean things up in front of the net. He's, they're not going to, not many teams are going to win when those goals go in. It's like the Montreal Canadiens the other night with, with Carey Price. The I, Canadians I, aren't going to win that the goal from Sandine as good as it was. And is uh, I know it was a power play, but I just, I, th- those pucks can't go in. Yeah. That, that one, I believe it might've tipped and dipped on uh, the Morrissey. I, I watched it a couple times. I could be wrong, but you're right. Like a couple like, you got to make the saves when they have to be made. That's it's almost like Grant Fear used to let in what if the Oilers scored six goals, he'd let in five, but he would never let in the six. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, even when I played with Niemi, Niemi would let in a couple goals. You'd be like, wow, but he would never let in that goal when it really mattered. And those timely saves are bigger than just, you know, the saves throughout the game. And and any goalie, I'm sure, would really tell you that. So, uh, but again, it's when when the momentum's going downhill you rely on the captain of the ship to, to help stop the momentum. And he didn't do that. He didn't use that timeout after that third goal. You could feel it coming. You kind of felt it coming after that pro goal just because of the bad penalty. And then they scored. And then the, the onslaught started to come. The wave started to come. And, and he didn't use it. He didn't utilize it after that third goal. 
and then the fourth goal, and then they actually gave gave a little bit of a push back, and Hellebuck made some saves. But man, if I'm waking up today, understanding why you know I I didn't play some players more, I didn't utilize that timeout, and I mean realistically, I, I pretty much dropped the ball. It, it's for me, it's a tough pill to swallow for Dave Tippett this morning. With Christopher Stegon lead off Sportsnet 590, the fan to the Leafs and Habs in just a minute. But one final thought on the Oilers, like Chris, if they if they lock it down and win, like they very apparently should have uh, in the final half of the third period last night, they're down two games to one, and quite realistically, they come back in the series. And if they win the series and then say, hypothetically, go on to lose to the Maple Leafs, you'd look at that and you'd go, no, nah, we won a playoff round, and we lost to the best team in the North Division in the second round. All right, well, well, well that's life. They have this cataclysmic collapse last night. They're down 3 nothing to the Jets now, and they quite possibly get swept out of the first round. I mean, the perception between those two scenarios, both end in losses ultimately, but the perception of those two scenarios are completely and totally different. So the question then becomes, if you're Ken Holland, the front office, Dave Tippett, the coaching staff, and you do go out really quickly, as it now seems they will, how do you assess anything here? Or did you already have preconceived notions about what this team is, which is McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nurse, Clefbaum, if we get him back and he's good, and then we got to figure out our goaltending because our best guy's almost 40. Well, I mean, we basically knew before the series, and we said, like, I, I picked Edmonton to win because I felt Connor was going. I felt Dreisaitl was going. But if you don't have... Connor McDavid going this team finished if he wasn't on the team this year this team finishes last place last place in this division and if you don't have McDavid and Dreisaitl on this team this team finishes probably 31st out of seven teams right that's just how much these two mean to this team you can't just have a team based off of three players or two players then hoping you know well Darnell Nurse has definitely stepped up to the plate and been incredible but hoping Clefbaum can get healthy you can't win in a series when you're just relying on two guys to always score. I know that Kara sorry, scored yesterday, uh, and that was good because they needed that depth help. But you have guys like you have Archibald playing 16, 17 minutes a night, right? And he's playing more than Yamamoto. And I thought Yamamoto was supposed to be that guy underneath and he's generally not, he's playing probably around Archibald, but why, why do you have these players there that are supposed to lift up the, the top guys and be the supporting cast? And they're not always getting the minutes they need in order to help the top guys. So I, I do believe they have some other pieces that can help. If you're starting to look and assess the bottom portion of the team, it's just how they're utilized. And I don't think they're utilized the right way. And I don't like a lot of the line combinations. I don't like how he's used Zach Cassian all year and, and now he finally realizes that Zach can play in these games, and if you play him with good players, good things are going to happen. But he didn't u- utilize Zach at all, and now he kind of sees that he can use him because Zach loves to play in the playoffs and he plays good. But again, it's it's almost like it's too late. So that, those are just questions I have is you have these pieces. You've been putting other pieces in here because Connor's been going so good. It almost didn't matter who was playing below these guys during the year. But in the playoffs, you need other guys going. And you have them, but you haven't utilized them. So I, my questions come back to wh- the way Dave is using the support staff, the guys he has, putting other guys in elevated roles. 
and D, uh, I guess, I don't know, what is it, D, putting the other guys down in the lineup. I don't, I don't get it. And that's the question that I more so have is what is Dave doing at certain times with certain players this entire, uh, well, for sure the playoffs, but throughout the entire year? The Leafs and Canadians going to game three tonight. Toronto evens it up at one apiece. Um, Leafs mountain to climb here has just gotten a little bit bigger here with Tavares um, injury. And, you know, it's yeah, it's tough to lose your captain. And what was, what was your assessment of the first two games and kind of what what to expect tonight? Yeah, the first game is, I think, like anyone just watching it, I was almost like, how do the Leafs come back from this? That That sense of shock. Uh, I wasn't, uh, I guess I wasn't in shock that they lost. But the one thing from the first game that I took away was the power play. And again, in the second game, they scored those two power play goals. But both those power play goals come because the top man is doing his job in that Sandine. And then on the second one, it's Riley. It's it, For me, when I look at Toronto, it's going to have to be not just relying on your power play, though, to win you games or rush chances. They got to figure out a way to get the game into the ozone and grind it down. And much like Montreal, I figure whoever figures out how to play in the ozone and really wear teams down first is going to win this series because both teams are too reliant on getting a power play and scoring or scoring off the rush. They need to really play playoff hockey, get it in there and go to work. But if I'm going to be critical of the Leafs' power play, it's that top guy. I said it last week. Sandine's got to be ready to shoot. There, he he was ready to shoot on that goal, but right after that, again, he's ready to shoot, and then he and he like half cocks it, and then he gets the puck and then wrists it, and then Marner's been teeing him up. So just get ready, get ready to shoot. Keep being a threat up there, and he's got to make passes from the right spots on the ice. Matthews is leaking a little too low on that one-time side. He needs to push up a little more to the top of the circle, give a better angle, but. That's the thing. That comes down to the, the power play coaching. Give these guys visuals, better angles on the ice for better shots, and these guys now got to execute. So if they can do good on the power play and they can figure out the ozone and they can grind Montreal down, this should be a relatively easy series for Toronto. But that's that being remained to be seen is that ozone, sustained ozone pressure, the way you have to win in a, in a playoff series. Well, Chris, I, I'm also interested to see how the the series is called as it as it moves to Montreal now, because obviously there was a distinct advantage quantity wise in the number of power plays toward the Leafs on Saturday night. I think it was justified, and Montreal, you know, they want to be more physical than the Leafs, and they need to rely on their goaltender if they're going to win this series. But with the physicality and the type of physicality, it's a fine line that you walk. So if the referees are going to call it and they did on Saturday, and that power play for the Leafs is going, you're in trouble. If you can get away with some things, that's advantageous to you. <laughs> yeah, it is. And and you see, uh, like, Weber, he was chopping wood all night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There, I mean, Ziggy, there was sometimes I was oh, like, no. my, like, there was yeah. a couple he laid to the back legs and cross checks and everything and yeah. whatever. I was like, I, it was all night, though. Oh, yeah. And, and they gave Simmons, him, yeah, yeah, and they gave him one five thousand dollar fine. He could have had a few more, but that that's how it is. That's how they're going to have to play if they're going to stay with Toronto in this series. They're a bigger team. They got bigger D, and they rely on the physical play in order to intimidate. And that's just how Montreal's going to have to win. Uh, they they deserved a lot of the penalties. Toronto deserved a couple as well. Maybe that Hyman one from behind, I thought, was not was for sure. It was on Byron, I believe, it was in the first period. He kind of went in pretty recklessly and hit Byron from behind. But 
all in all, Montreal did deserve a lot of the power plays they got, and they didn't again. They didn't sustain any ozone. Besides that cock and the Emmy goal, they didn't really give any reason for Toronto or for to get penalties against Toronto because they just didn't sustain anything either. It was just like ping pong in the neutral zone, going back and forth, and then Toronto would score on a power play. They didn't get the puck in behind Toronto's D. They didn't grind them down. They didn't create any sustained ozone. So if I'm looking at it from a Montreal fan perspective, it's if you can get it in there and you're creating uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs to trip you in the ozone, pull you down, haul you down, hold you, then you're doing your job and you're not getting power plays, then I'd be angry. But if the way they played last night, they didn't deserve the power plays or whatever they got, maybe one or two here or there, but they didn't deserve it in abundance. We'll see where we are next Monday. Should be fun, Steger. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll talk in a week. For sure. Take care, guys. At Christopher Steger, the NHL on Sportsnet. So a big day on Sportsnet 590, the fan. The Blue Jays look to salvage a game against the Rays, 1 o'clock this afternoon. It's also a game you can watch on Sportsnet 1. And then it's Game 3, Leafs and Habs in Montreal, 7 o'clock puck drop on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and, of course, a game you can watch on Hockey Night in Canada, the CBC. Oilers try to survive in Winnipeg at 9.45 tonight on Sportsnet. We will break it all down tomorrow morning. Good show is next. Enjoy 2-4. Oh, boy.